My name is Matt Brown. Would you look at me? I'm setting records. And let's start the show. One, two, three, four. Bum. <laughs> She's got a smile that it seems to me Reminds me of childhood memories Where everything was as fresh as a bright blue sky Alright, Tommy, you're the oldest. I'm counting on you. Come on. She's got eyes of the bluest skies As if they thought of rain I hate to look into those eyes And see Nice vibrato, buddy. Alright, alright, Alice, let's go. It's so flat. I can't even, I don't even know. You don't even look good while you're singing. The worst thing I've ever heard. This is $1,200 a week for voice lessons, and this is what I get? Okay, I'm going to save it with the solo. Bow, bow, I'm dead. And I can sing high like this. And I can sing high. Jesus. you are here to join us my name is matt brown and i am the host of the productive conversations podcast we are so fortunate to have you join us what's going on it is monday march 22nd 2021 man the days really keep rolling by how's everybody doing today i surely am great and happy to be alive oh spring is here it's pretty much sprung but we are going to make it work either way. Just some reminders. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And please leave us a review and to check out all exclusive content regarding this incredible podcast, go to ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com and check out the website that has it all, where the brand is strong and we have all our podcasts, all our videos, my resume for anyone who is interested. And you can check out all of the great writing I have done with my blogs. Yes, you can learn about me saving an MTV show, interviewing for The Tonight Show, for an internship, my weight loss journey, how I somehow became the president of a fraternity. You can check out all those blogs and more on the Productive Conversations podcast website slash blogs. You know what else is on the website? Our merchandise store, thanks to our friends at Zazzle, you can get all exclusive merchandise regarding the Productive Conversations podcast, from the coolest and hippest apparel to the most awesome office supplies, great stationary items, and we have a lot of other miscellaneous stuff to enhance your life, and I guarantee that. Go to ProductiveConversations.com. ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com slash merchandise or go check out the link in the episode description below. And also check us out in the world of social media. You can check us on the gram. Our Instagram is at Productive Conversations Podcast. Check us out on Twitter at Pod, And also check us out 
on TikTok at Productive Conversations and see what we have to offer in the world of social media. So yes, let me just get right to it. It is a classic episode, three epic hours of me talking with the up-and-coming stand-up comedian Tom Roche. So funny, so chill. We have a lot of great stories. This is the first time we met and we talked for three amazing hours. We talked about his comedy career. We talked about him directing music videos. We talked about fashion, glow-ups, PC culture in comedy, his first times on stage, trying to do impressions, and a lot more great things are coming up in this great conversation. So let's get to it right away. Tom Roche, it's your turn. Let's start the show. been somebody who came on my radar as this podcast was growing uh, we got in touch from our mutual friend thanks to the great cliff mula and we started to talk and now he's here i'm a huge fan of all his work that i've seen so far and i'm really excited to get to know this man but everybody we have up and coming stand-up a future star tom roche is in the building today what's going on tom Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to be here. I want you to know that I binged some of your, like, there, there is some, uh, I'm trying to remember which episodes, but the, the, I think it was the day, the night after, or a couple nights after you're like, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? I like looked into more of the other podcasts aside from the Cliff one, which was great. Mm-hmm. And it was right after I had to come down on shrooms. Like I had, I was on a shroom trip and as soon as it started to come down, I don't know why, but I started watching your podcast and it was actually one of the most beautiful experiences ever. Like, like oh. I wasn't watching them while I was tripping. It was right after, but I still had like that that mindset in my head, if that makes sense. So there's just yeah. something really beautiful and authentic about all the stuff that I was watching. And I just wanted to say that because I was it just made me super hyped to come on here because I was like, wow, like I, like I'm I'm having like a little I just remember that moment of like watching the podcast and I think the I saw the clip one. I saw one where you were interviewing Online Lover. That song he has is great, by the way. Hell yeah, my buddy Johnny Cabrera is awesome. Yeah, it was it was that was good. You interviewed your cousin. There was one where you interviewed your cousin. That was really that was really interesting. That was fun. And oh, was yeah, just, awesome cousin Rachel. Able to carry a conversation that's just really it's really entertaining to watch. So I just wanted to start off by saying that. Wow, that that really means a lot. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that, and I'm I'm glad it's sticking. And it's yeah, I just genuinely believe we could talk to anyone, give them a chance and show what's interesting and being productive with it. And that's why we're here today. Get to know each other more and uh, also introduce you to my amazing audience and see where you're coming from. And dude, that's, that's great. But before we even get to that, when we talk some shrooms, isn't shrooms a beautiful thing? I mean, yeah. we've seen Colorado even legalizing it, I believe. And if you want to count Oregon, what is, I've only done shrooms once in my life. But it was pretty profound. Got the lemon juice and everything. And yeah, like it was just one free Saturday uh, with one uh, person I had done it with. We didn't have anything to do. So we just checked it out. And it was just good smiling, good vibes. And uh, it was, uh, like I said, a cool time in my life. And 
man, I just you 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 think you see the you know what TV and movies make you know the the trees jumping out at you, or um, you know the walls are gaining you, you turn into lava. But I was just in a really good mood the whole day, and that's all we need, right? Yeah, it it resent. It, I always think of it as resensitizing you to life. I feel like we're very desensitized, right? And then you take like it's like like we're so used to seeing trees every day, right? Like you look yeah. at a tree, like that's a tree. But it's like you take shrooms, and it's like you're seeing a tree for the first time, but you're really seeing it and just <laughs> understanding how crazy and absurd everything is. So I definitely like it's when you're talking about like that movie film feel. I get it because it's really it's an experience. Like it's. It's, it feels like you're experiencing life for the first time, almost. You're like, well, this yeah. is, but at the same time, like something you've experienced before. And when it comes down, you may not have that feeling anymore, but the, the lessons and that perspective, that mindset really, it really changes. Like, I think, I think it's something everyone should try once in their life because it's just, right. I mean, like, get what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. And uh, you, you were saying? I was going to say when you when you did it, uh, the friend you did it with was it like a close friend? Was it an acquaintance? Like were you but how how? Yeah, it how, was pretty. He was family, so it was pretty easy. And he just said, "You want to do it?" Uh, it was a nice fall day, and again, just nothing to do. I just see what it's all about. It was only like a couple of years ago, and you know, I, if I get a chance to, I probably would do it again as long as uh, I don't have anything to do or any big responsibility in that day. And like you said, it's just enlightening. And you actually have that legitimate euphoria. Yeah, I've definitely had bad experiences tripping. Yeah, I never uh, had that. I never had a bad experience yet tripping. Oh yeah, like shrooms have always been fine on shrooms, but there was uh, I done I did LSD three times. Mm-hmm. Two out of those three times, one time I ended up in the in the in the ambulance. Like one time, like that was a whole crazy thing, and it was all in my head. Like I, I was fine. Like. Oh, okay. You didn't actually end up in the ambulance. <laughs> no, I ended up in like like the ambulance came and like took me like and I got you know what a spinal tap is? You know when they take the giant needle, they put it in your spine and they like take out your spinal fluid. I got one of those. Oh, do you have like a nasty scar from that or like no, a actually, badass one? No, there's actually no scar at all. It's it doesn't leave a, a scar. But I was bedridden for days. Because when someone inserts metal into your spine and pulls out your fluids, Ooh. it's such an intense experience that your body has to recover for it. This was 2018. This is when I first started. This is when I first tried psychedelics. It was early 2018. Mm-hmm. And it was right before I turned. Uh, it was like right before my birthday. So it was like right before I turned 24. So like my, my I remember my birthday, like I spent like just in bed, unable to move. Because like, the, the way I ended up in the hospital is. So I remember taking is it was so it was my second time doing LSD, but it was first time I did it, it wasn't enough to trip, but it was enough to feel nice. Mm-hmm. The second time I tried LSD, it was enough to trip. And it was great at first. Like I was with my friend, we were watching uh we were watching Dragon Ball Super and the experience. Oh, good choice for that, I feel. Oh, and it's like you feel like like the stakes are real. Like I remember I don't know who's watching <laughs> that follows Dragon Ball, but I like Vegeta was fighting this god of destruction and like the balance of the universe. Like the, the fate of the universe was in the balance, and I remember feeling like, like if Vegeta didn't win that battle in the in the anime, that like the world was actually going to end. Like that's what it felt like. I was like, <laughs> bro, fuck, like I'm gonna die. But I remember like when Vegeta was powering up and yelling, that I felt like I had to too to give him my energy, just because I think part of the psychedelics too is, um, I wouldn't say it makes you more empathetic, but because I'm more sensitive to stimuli. 
Like I'm sensitive to his yelling and his need to win. And then I'm empathizing and feeling like I need to help him. So I'm like, maybe if I yell while he's yelling, like, like everything will be okay. But of course, the anime is written a certain way. It's going to end the way it's going to end either way. But that was really fun. We went to a party. I got really paranoid. By the end of the night, I came home and I just laid down on the porch outside in the cold. Because my mindset from the tripping was like, like the universe, like I got to a point, like a dark place where I was like, maybe nothing should exist. I was like, maybe if I just stop moving for long enough, like everything will disappear and suffering will end. Because if you look at every religion, it's like life is suffering. Like even Buddhism, mm-hmm. life is like Christianity, like everything is sin and everything is horrible. So right. my thing is just like, well, fuck it. Like, if everything just sucks. Like maybe like just don't do anything. And I thought that if I moved, something bad was going to happen. Like I wasn't allowed to move. Like my mindset was so, it was a bit of psychosis. Like I was so distorted that uh, I was re- like, I was refused to move. And then my mom and her boyfriend came and my mom saw me on the porch in the dark. <laughs> she thought I was just like some homeless man sleeping on the porch. But when she realized it was me, she started freaking out because she thought like I OD'd on heroin or something. Cause I just oh. wasn't like, I refused to move. Like, like mm-hmm. I could move if I wanted to, but I just refused. And then they yeah. called the ambulance cause I just wasn't responding. Like they didn't want to respond. And then the ambulance came and then they picked me up off the, off the, the porch and they like brought me to the ambulance. And then I remember the dude in the ambulance didn't believe I couldn't move. And he was right. I could move, but I was really so paranoid that I absolutely was just like, I think I'm in too deep. Let me just not move. At this point, like I'm tripping. I'm in the ambulance. Like, let me just commit to this. Like, let's like, what happened? Like, this is nothing you would do sober, but I was so into the trip that I was like, let me just commit to this and see what happens. And he was like, the dude in the ambulance was getting mad. And he was like, if you don't fuck, like he was swearing. He was like, if you don't fucking move. Like, I'm going to have to take this IV and I'm going to have to jam it in your in your arm. I'm just going to jam it in there. Oh. He kept saying that. I didn't respond. Now, imagine this. Like, I at this point, it's like, I definitely wasn't visually tripping at this point. Mm-hmm. But mentally, I was still coming off of fucking uh, acid. But, yeah, so then eventually I don't respond. And I remember, like, because my eyes were closed the whole time I wasn't moving. But I remember hearing it in his voice. He went from, like, anger to like, oh shit, he's really not moving. And then I remember feeling him try to get the vein and he fucked up like four or five times and oh. I knew this. Cause later on when I finally like opened my eyes later in like the, the night, like my arm was just covered in dry blood. Like, cause I remember like the ambulance was like bouncing and moving <laughs> and he was like trying to stab it in my arm. Healthcare, so huh? Uh, and to make a long story short, cause it's like a lot happened in the night. But I basically like it was just like me, my family, and the ambulance, and I didn't move, and they couldn't figure out how to get me move to move. So they were like, maybe the LSD was uh, laced with something with PCP. Oh. So they're like, we'll do a spinal tap, and then we'll figure out. And then they did it, and they were like, it was just LSD. And I was like, yeah, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was yeah. So that's a whole experience, and it didn't even like that was all over. And I was like, at first, I was like, I'm never doing this again. But then, like, it wears, like, time passes, and you're like, you know, I don't regret that, and I learned a lot from that experience. And I'm actually, like, so I, I that's not a story I would tell to be, like, you should totally, like, do psychedelics. The last story I would tell, <laughs> stay away from kids, but, uh, Stay away from drugs, yeah, kids. <laughs> stay away from kids, drugs. Um, drugs, stay away from kids. Yes, yes. <laughs> Shoo, shoo. And you actually had the actual spinal tap. I just, you know, I think of the movie in my closed oh, mind. Yeah, but, yeah. but I didn't know that was, man, that was, 
now now that movie's even more hilarious if that's what it's actually named after. But shit, yeah, well, I shout- <laughs> well, I mean, shouts to the uh, healthcare workers who helped you out of oh, yeah. that. And I guess you were really doing a genuine spirit bomb, giving your energy off like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I'm sure they're yeah. But that was that was my experience with that. I don't even remember how I why I, oh because I after I showed shrooms after I came out on shrooms I was watching the podcast. But yeah, so that's my worst experience with psychedelics. But I've had some really amazing, beautiful experiences on psychedelics. But that definitely was like, and I don't even blame the I don't even blame the drugs on that. I think that was completely like uh, it taught me a lot about my insecurities and a lot of like the mindsets and things I had to change because like that's pretty dark to be like balls deep in acid and be like I shouldn't exist. None of this shit. Yeah. Like, that's uh, <laughs> that's, where, where is your brain going in that sense? Is this a sign going yeah. or something? <laughs> and I remember, like, there's other stuff too. Like, I, like, I, I, so I do a lot of things. I, my main thing is comedy, right? I've yep. been involved for comedy for like years. Like, so I'm just going to speak on this. Uh, so I'm a stand up comedian and I started doing stand up comedy in the beginning of 2019. Um, All right. Yeah, and before that, I was that was how I started stand up comedy. But before that, I was involved with sketch comedy, and before that, just like musicals and plays, and like I would always write my own videos. I have some old YouTube videos online from high school. So comedy's always been something like I've been like in love with, like just the idea of, like it's so satisfying to be able to. Uh, I hate the word manipulate, but that's what we do. Like we manipulate you into laughing, and it's, it's kind of like this puzzle. Like what is the right series of words and phrases and movements that if I do it right like i know you'll laugh that study to me has always been super fulfilling and gratifying but uh i was gonna go somewhere with this and i forgot where i was going i have like a mind fart um oh so that's that's one thing i do i do comedy i do a lot of writing uh if anyone's interested listening right now my instagram is uh tom roche comedy uh t-o-m-r-o-c-h-e comedy and you'll just find a bunch of pictures there but i'm gonna the uh what am I trying to say here? Uh, there's a bunch of other like things I do. Yes. So right now I've been working on music videos, directing some music videos. Um, so if people want to check check those out, um, there's some places you can see some of them. Uh, my brother, I've directed some of his music videos. His name is Roche, but it's not spelled like my. So it's our last name. My last name is Ro, our last name is Roche, R O C H E, mm-hmm. but he spells his ar- artist name as R O S H A Y. And, Tom Roche. Um, like yeah, so he spells it the way it's pronounced, but it's not mm-hmm. spelled that way. Uh, I, I'm going to see. I have this. I have this bad habit where I'll go off on a. I'll like. I want to explain something, right? And as I'm going to do that, I remember something else, and then I'm like way far off the tangent that I was going to go on. Hey, so we're still here. You got this. Is, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Let me gather my mind, control my breath. Uh. Comedy is something I do, stand-up comedy, sketch comedy. I act, I direct music videos. When I made a little short one yesterday in the morning uh, with my brother, I reason, uh, I was editing one right now for my boy Mikey Black. It's spelled, Mikey, it's spelled exactly what it sounds like, Mikey Black, but there's three Ks. So it's Mikey Black and then two extra Ks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know why. Like I'm just talking. Can you ask me something? Like I'm a like. No, I'm just- of course, yeah. That what's uh we you got a um we got a we got a good introduction here, and we got um so many things to go off of. So talk to me about directing music videos in particular. I haven't had you're the first music video director that I've had here. So 
one of the things, you know, what do you think of the state of music videos right now as you make them? Is it, you know, we don't have the days of TRL anymore. We don't, all we have is our YouTube and Instagrams and stuff like that. So in music videos in general, what do you think, um, how is it going? Is it still just as popular? Is that um, the big th- move with YouTube and everything? What do you think of music videos as a way of storytelling and promoting music in general? So when it comes to the business and cultural aspects of, of music videos, I'm not super entrenched. Like, like I don't have a, like I have a passion for comedy, but I wouldn't say I have a passion for music videos, but it's something I enjoy. Right. Um, but what I can say is when it comes to the process of like tackling, like, like a music video can change a song entirely. Like you can hear a song and be like, this song is whatever. And then you see the music video and then all of a sudden you like the song because now you're going to associate the song with those visuals. So that's just one thing I really like about music videos. I'm a, I'm someone who loves listening to soundtracks and scores for movies and shows I enjoy. I don't know if you do that too. Like the instrumental. Oh man, we could nerd out on those scores, dude. That's the, that's the, you know, everyone says the most important aspect of filmmaking and we can't have one thing without the other, but the best way for to have an audience feel what, what they need to is, is through music in particular, the score. And that's what sets the tone. Most of all is what you hear out of it. Like you can't watch Jaws and you hear trap hip hop. That would, that would just uh, ruin the mood. It would work in it, but it would be a different tone, right? Like it wouldn't work for the Jaws that we're used to, but it would be this whole new genre of shark movie. You know what I mean? Like, yes, that is true too. It, um, cause as no matter, depends on the filmmaker, they could put you in that state of mind that you're supposed to, as long as it's good. But you know, as you said, usually we don't, the great John Williams score from Jaws goes in and you know, that's iconic, dunna, dunna, dunna. And, you know, obviously you're anticipating this big monster coming out. But it would just be funny if you just hear like he I don't know, he eats the legs and stuff like that. But uh, like I said, that's just how important music is. It just flows and makes us makes the audience know, feel some type of way. Now, now I'm picturing like like Jaws coming, but. Like, you know, when you hear outside, like, you just hear someone blasting like you're throwing on the, like, their car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. As, like, the fan is going across the screen. Uh, but, like, even, like, I bet if you, like, if we heard the Jaws theme and we had never seen Jaws, we'd just be like, oh, this is a clap. Like, you just, you would hear it and you wouldn't think much of it. Like, it's a good theme. But what, it's like you said, they need each other. Like, like what makes the, the Jaws theme so amazing is the visuals and how we, picture the shark and the monster right but right. also the shark so amazing is the song and separately they're not you know they're it's like oh there's a movie about a shark this is a really cool song but together so that's what i like about music videos is they can really elevate a song or change the way you see a song for example absolutely i'm a huge suck fan of Billie eilish and she has this one song called um what is the song i love the song i can't remember the name <laughs> it's one about you know i'm a googler right now because i have my computer uh, you Eilish sibling song. Uh, she is hella talented, by the way. Oh, she yeah, she's amazing. And I'm glad, like, I don't want to sound like that guy, but I'm glad she's 18 now because she's gorgeous. And I'm glad <laughs> I can look at her and have these uh, adult male thoughts. And <laughs> so I'm just like, it's a good thing. Um, But uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so I heard the song and I thought it was a romantic song. Like, I was like, Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know why I made that face. So I heard it and it was a romantic song. And I just, that's what I thought of it. And then I talked to uh, my friend Luca and Luca was like, yeah, this is a song about our sibling. And I was like, what? And I was so used to her 
like the person she was talking about being like a romantic interest. Then when I saw the music video, I realized like, oh, like it started to make sense to me. Like I just attributed romantic um, vibe to the, the person she was describing. There was nothing inherently romantic about the song. So when I saw the video, I was like, oh, now I understand it. Like if I had never seen the video, I would just listen to this. Right. And it had a romance vibe, but the video, I was like, oh, it's clear now. So that's one thing I like about music videos. When I help my brother film, for example, one thing I like is because uh, he's got like he makes the song and he has his own vision of the song and the feel. And then I hear the song. I have my own vision of the song mm-hmm. and the feel. So putting it together, it depends who you work with. Like me and my brother, because we're brothers, we're, we have a lot of similarities. So we click a lot. Uh, collaborating with other people, you might, I might find like do you have a vision that you want to bring to life or do you want me to bring my, my own vision to life or do you want to meet halfway? Everyone's different. Some people are like, this is, I'm not the kind of person who would probably want to make music videos for someone who's just like, I want this, this, this exactly this way. Can you do it? I'm more the kind of person who wants to, like, I want to um, influence it with my own creativity and my yes. own style and have a little bit to say, right? I don't want to just, at that point, like- And show I, your own vision. Someone. Exactly. Yeah, uh, that- no, you're saying, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say that's one of the reasons, that's one of the, I was just going to go on as this one of the things, but mm-hmm. what are you going to say? Well, I was just saying like, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's your role in the director, creating your own vision for that. And I, it's, it must be interesting. I was going to ask about the collaboration process when you go with an artist who does look at it their way. And then you look at it another way and we'll see what the listeners and people who stream look at it a certain way too. I think it's really Interesting how that comes together and how do you, uh, why don't you walk me through more about your collaboration process? Uh, you were getting into it with your brother, but also with other audiences or other, other, um, or, other artists. Yeah. And I, I'll talk a bit about collaboration in general, because I do a lot of collaborative arts. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll see this, this is how I'll tackle this. So stand up, right? One thing I really like about stand up comedy is it's not like there's collaboration in everything in life, but I wouldn't consider it a collaborative art because at the end of the day, it's you on stage with your own material. You know what I mean? Like there's no other sounds. Yeah. It's me. There's no one else. Like I'm not working with everyone else. That isn't to say that during a comedy show that if if it's like not just me, like if it's not just like me doing an hour special, right? Like I, I don't have an hour special yet or anything like that. Usually I'm doing shows with other people. Mm-hmm. But like if someone joined before and they bomb, it may not be like we're working to, together necessarily, but like them bombing before me is going to affect my set. That yeah. same way they do like amazing, so amazing that I can't follow, that's also going to affect my set. Mm-hmm. So stand-up isn't collaborative, but what I love about it, like aside from the fact that other comedians can affect stuff, like what I love about it is that I'm independent. Like if the freedom is mine, I get to say whatever I want. I don't have to worry about anyone else. Like it's just, it's just me. The downside is it's just me. It can be very lonely if you don't have other mm-hmm. friends who do stand-up comedy. It's a lot of stand-up comedians who are very lonely. That's why you associate stand-up comedy sometimes with drinking drugs and all this stuff. I think that these are a lot of people who are like, you know, I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to follow my own path. But you find a lot of other people. You know, we don't know many stand-up comedians. Like, you go into scene, everyone doing stand-up comedy is a stand-up comedian. But most people don't know a lot of stand-up comedians. Um, so what I like about, say, working on a video or a play or something like that is, um, you know, in one sense... Like you have to, I have to let go of the like, oh, I want to do everything myself thing because the upside is that I have people to pick up the slack. Like I don't have to worry about anything, but there's a lot of trust involved in collaboration. Like you can't do a project with other people if I don't, if I don't trust you or trust your vision or trust that you trust my vision, then I'm not even going to start. 
I've never been in a situation where I really like committed to working with someone and hated it. Cause I usually try to feel the other person out before I commit to something. If I have a feeling like if there's any vibe that I'm like, Ooh, something's going to go wrong. I really try to, um, like when I get to know people, I really try to like feel out, like, can we do this? Like, is there any, like even a semblance of chemistry? And if there isn't, which, uh, it happens sometimes. I just, I'm like, oh, like, you know, I'm going to prioritize other things. I'm not going to work with this person. Um, but it's really beautiful how, for example, say someone, say, uh, I'm going to give two examples. One is uh, my brother Roche and one is Mikey. My brother will come to me and, like, we live together. So he'll be like, here's an idea. And he adds and I can add and he can add and I can add. And he might say something that I'm like, eh, that doesn't work. But since he's the artist, I always say you can veto anything. Like, like I'm going to shoot out ideas. but you're the you're the artist. I'm I'm presenting you, so you can veto anything. Right. Um, so that's one thing. Like I look at, uh, like if I'm the director of something I wrote, I'm vetoing whatever the fuck I want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. But if I'm directing you and it's your song, like you're you're in charge. So that's one thing. There's that dynamic of, like I have that uh, responsibility, but I understand. Like I'm not I'm not the boss at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Mikey kind of hit me up and he sent me a song, and I like hit him up with the concept. Like, we didn't really talk, talk, like, talk, like, me and my brother sat down and we talked about everything. Mikey hit me up, and I was like, here, how's this for an idea? And he was like, that's perfect. And I've just kind of been like, I kind of have more creative freedom on this. Like, I'm more of kind of, like, working on everything, and then I'm going to meet Mikey, and we're going to film it. Whereas with my brother, like, we kind of build it together step by step. And uh, because when it's over, you're like, this is our baby. Like, we raised this kid together, you know? So that's something that's uh, really beautiful about the collaborative process. And, and it that, trains you kind of the world. Like you can't, I say, like I always say, like everyone should do psychedelics once. Everyone should try theater or some kind of collaborative art once. Because when you're like working with a team that you really care about and everyone's putting their differences aside and saying like, look, we may have bullshit and we may have other things going on in life. But right now the priority is the show, right? The show must go on. And to be a part of a team that's working towards something greater than themselves, um, definitely one of my favorite things about collaborative art. And you get to tell a story and entertain and inspire and inform an audience, which is such a rewarding experience. You could really inspire so many people. And that's really cool. Or just tell a bunch of dick and shit jokes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that still entertains some folks out there. <laughs> you know, one thing you were you were mentioning on the collaborating process is chemistry. Isn't it just amazing how chemistry truly is one of the few genuinely natural things? It's hard to I, don't, I, th- I think it's almost impossible to measure chemistry. Either have it or you don't. Do, do you agree? Uh, mm, I agree. Okay. Let me let me think about this real quick. Mm-hmm. Chemistry, you either have it or you don't. E, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna say no. This is why I'm gonna say no. I think yeah. at first, like, it's not something you can change overnight. Like, if I meet you and you meet me, and we don't have chemistry. Uh, whether for art or you're meeting a girl for a date or it's just a person, like whatever the lack of chemistry in that relationship dynamic is, I do think it, it's not something necessarily you can measure, right? You can compare it, be like, oh, I have more chemistry with this person than yeah. this person, or we have different. But I do think it's something um, when it, like, you can work on if you put the effort into it. But to change it overnight, like, to just be like, oh, chem- we don't have chemistry, like, that's not going to happen. But I've just seen so many, uh, What's the opposite of chemistry? Like, what is the lack of chemistry? Uh, negative chemistry? That's a great word. Uh, 
Are you, let me look up chemistry sick because I got my Google too. I think what I'm trying to say is like I've just seen it's inorganic chemistry. That's yeah, all like negative inorganic things. Like if you work for it, and I really believe if you work for it, anything's possible. So generally, like yeah, if you don't have chemistry, you don't have chemistry. But as a person, I believe like if you're gonna work hard in it, like you can overcome like 99.999 percent of obstacles that are thrown. Yeah, I, I think, think the key- chemistry might be one of those. I think the key word you said is the effort part, especially if you talk about relationship chemistry, especially, I mean, no one wants to be in a relationship that both people aren't trying for, or one person cares more than the other. That's the worst. That is that talk about an inorganic chemistry. It's about the effort there, the effort, whether on set, whether, you know, creating comedy or, or music and stuff like that, you have to put an effort and try. And as long as the other person tries, then that's where it can all fall into place. And there, is, there are situations where just two people are just unwilling to, like, it's not a party. Like, all right, you know, what? I love the way, like, let's say it's like, I love the way I am. You love the way you are, but the way we are has no chemistry, but we have no interest in changing or growing as people or like, you know what I mean? It's just like the chemistry is dead. But if people are willing to make that change, then, where am I trying to go here? So you said something about um, the effort in chemistry. You have to put effort. Yeah. To, you have a better chance of having chemistry if, you, if people put effort into yeah. it. Like I, I have, I have a good chance of changing your chemistry and making better. But I don't think this isn't. We weren't talking about this, but I'm just throwing this thought in there. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't think you can. There's just some people. Like how do I put this? You can, you can grow chemistry where there isn't any. But I say there's just you know like. I'm trying to think if I agree with what I'm about to say. So what I was going to say is you can grow chemistry with people who there aren't, right? But they're just people like you can't make people fall in love with you. Like you can't force romantic, like no matter how much effort I put in, there are some people who I will never be able to romantically create something. Absolutely. But chemistry doesn't have to be romantic. So you can, this isn't like, we weren't saying that this wasn't the case. That's just something I was thinking about. It's just like, yeah, you can't force love. That is, and that's can't force fuck, chemistry. Man. It's, but it's, you can really put hard work because there's some people, no matter how much work you put into, you're just not the one for you. But yeah, you I mean, make a friend. it's funny when you say that, too. And, you know, I'm sure we've all thought have all of us, no matter what orientation are, is in this world, is we all definitely at one point while trying to figure out chemistry, you think you can make something happen. You think you can force. Something. Well, now you can think you can force something, but you think that. Like this is the one, this is the situation we're supposed to make this work, and it just doesn't work like that sometimes. I mean, it really be like that, and it's funny you just bring that up because <laughs> I'm sure all of us, especially recent in recent times or whatever, if we're not with someone, it uh, you you thought that it was all going to just pop, and it wasn't, and and that's on both you and the other person that you were trying to grow something with, but just some, for whatever reason, they, they didn't have the, want to put the effort in anymore. Maybe you didn't want to. And it, I guess that's why you're on to the next one and find that one person where you both put the same amount of effort. And someone who is familiar with heartbreak and women and all those dynamics, mm-hmm. uh, this is just, you made me think. So I went from thinking to that and just thinking about how much I've grown so much because of the heartbreak, emotionally, mentally, and physically. And one thing about this is one of the other reasons that I really vibe with you. And I, and I just, <laughs> I saw it like elements of similar journeys. There's a couple of things, but one thing is just kind of seeing your, your, your glow up. You know what I mean by that? When I oh, say yeah. your glow up. Yeah. Like you had a glow up, but I've had a glow up too. Like this, and I just seeing the work that you put in and kind of seeing you put in that physical effort and 
kind of, I, I think I've heard you talk about it on podcasts and I think you have pictures of it on Instagram and stuff. But oh man, yeah, I was just, 60 like, so pounds heavier at one point. So good about yourself. It's nice to see when you can see people look at you differently. You know, it's like those little things. So I just want to give you a shout out for that. Cause like, I know I love to pat myself on the back when I'm growing and sculpting myself. And like, <laughs> I have a lot of work to go. I just wanted to pat you on the back too as a fellow brother in the battlefield. Of- Yo, that that's, that's sweet. Why don't we get into the gloves? You know, it, it's as we both are both glow up individuals. Isn't it crazy how, yeah, people will look at you differently. It, it, it all, that was such a profound thing. I realized, wow, I am so, I'm literally looked at as another person just because I lost weight that I needed to for my health sakes and my mental state and just to go gain confidence and grow as a person. It is so crazy how you will be perceived to change differently and nine times out of 10 for the better with gloves. Do you feel this, that happened with you too? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't feel that. Like, I don't think I've ever glowed up and been like, Oh, there's a negative to this, but I definitely, <laughs> I always feel that the perceptions are different. People, people will let you know too. Like, even if you, cause there's like, you can notice the subtle, the subtleness in the way people speak to you differently or like body language. Yeah. But there's the, there's, you know, your friends who straight up tell you, which is always nice. Sometimes you get like, Compliments from strangers that you weren't getting before, or something like that. Definitely, like you get new attention, man. Yeah, and and it's kind of one thing. One of my friends said to me, uh, kind of related to the the negatives and all this. Like, if they're negatives, and he was like, "Yeah, there was a point where you would change so much in a short amount of time." This is when I this is when I started doing psychedelics. He said, "You change mm-hmm. so much in a short amount of time that it was it was jarring to him." He was like, "Yeah, it felt like." But like my friend died and got replaced with someone else and I had no time to like warn you. Like yeah, kind of right. Changed. And I was like, I, I didn't find out about that until like a year or two later. Like I think two years later because it was the end of 2018 and I don't think we had this conversation towards maybe like when quarantine and COVID started. Mm-hmm. So that was just something I thought of to think like, wow, there are people who like, it's not like he says, I prefer the old Tom. Like he definitely sees the growth and like, like you know, he's just yeah. like, yeah, it's Tom. But it's, it's funny to think that they're, you know, we we want to shed that, uh, for lack of a better term, our dead weight. You know, whether it's physically, mentally, what doesn't serve you, you want to get rid of. But it's always interesting how people like associate that with you. So when that disappears, it doesn't just feel like we're a different person, but like, like people really like they mourn. They just interesting. Like they mourn you. Like we're dead. Like the whole idea of like death is an illusion, right? Like you die, and we don't know what happens after. But in that same way, like the person I am today isn't the same person I was yesterday or a year ago. Like they're dead. Right. Like they're, for lack of a better word, they're here. But it's nice to have control over the person that we change it to. And I think that's the most important part about growing up is the discipline and the understanding that, you know, ultimately I can't, there's, there's a lack of things that I, I can do on a cosmic level, but shit, I can, I can get a haircut. I can do some pushups. You know, like, yeah, like, right. I can, I can drink a protein shake. Like I, <laughs> like, I can take the chips out. <laughs> it's 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 great it is it, it does feel amazing and you you it's you know the one thing about my globe i did it right after college man i was just Fair when i look at those old pictures of me it's just like wow it, you goober man i i i cringe when i look at that like i said the um 63 pounds is how much I lost. And when i it it was all that summer and you know you have your motivations to do what 
And when I went back for our sprint or like a first alumni weekend and people started to notice, I've had some of the craziest things people said to me because I was so much more thinner. I mean, I'll never forget two things. Once one guy, this guy, so I said I was a big boy, one of my old friends, right? He was, we were in the fraternity together. He was like, man, you can see your dick now. And I'm just like, <laughs> I guess I was just like, wow, that's pretty, that's a pretty dickish thing to say. But you know what? I don't care. I'll let that go. I gotta ask you a question because I, I read somewhere that it's like for every 10 pounds or something you lose that you gain like a centimeter or something on your penis. Have you noticed <laughs> that, that like as your waist, as your hip or waist slims, like do you, do you, does it crank out a little more? Pe- like is that, like, Yo, is it man. Huh? <laughs> Between you and me. Here on this podcast, no let else. me just say, you do notice a difference. I'll leave it at that. Okay, uh, for the for the better. <laughs> um, it, it's really kind of fascinating. I I think I could attest. <laughs> like, it does change. You know, your 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 guy over there gets just more confident too in your glow up. So <laughs> he stands a little straighter. <laughs> 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 that, but yeah, bro, dude, I, I think that is totally a thing. If you lose weight, you get a bigger dick. I believe I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like a for the males, of course. Centimeters for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine being a woman and losing weight and you're like, where did this penis come from? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Just like their clit, like, okay, no, I'm not gonna go <laughs> not gonna go <laughs> Dude, oh. you, and you know what? Another thing is like, I'll never forget this guy, this this dude Patrick said to me when I went when I showed up at the whatever alumni event we were at he's like man you get pussy now do you get pussy now that's what he said to me bro I, I, so i'm a so what i was trying to go into earlier when i was mentioning all the things that i don't even think i made the point i was trying to make so this brought me back um so there is a so there's some music that i wrote and it was just a lyric that i that you had reminded me of and i wanted to mention it mm-hmm. but forget that you reminded me so there's a song i wrote called hookup and it's about I wrote it, it was inspired by kind of like my, my hookup phase where I was just like, all right, like, like I'm single now, like time to fuck bitches. Like that was the mindset. <laughs> and I wrote this, uh, uh, I want to say late last year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, it's going through, there's a point in the song where like, I'd say haters is jelly, silent, but deadly. I'm Tom, but they, they, I'm Tom, but they petty green with they envy. And then, like, in my own voice, they, they would be like, you getting put, like, Tom, you're getting pussy? Like, what happened? Like, when did you start getting pussy? And it's kind of like the voice that I would add into the rap. Like, you getting pussy? And then I respond, sometimes, you getting pussy? Sometimes. But <laughs> you, you getting that kind of reaction of, like, oh, you're getting pussy now? Like, I understand that feeling. Like, it's, it's low-key insulting. Like, <laughs> what? Like, yeah, I'll, that's what I say. What was wrong with me the first time? But the truth is, I was getting a little less pussy before, so like <laughs> I can only laugh. Like, no, you're right. Like, mm-hmm. I can see why you were surprised that I get it, even if I don't agree with it entirely. Yes, I, you know, when you go up, you do get more attention. I'm sure everybody who has who's lost weight more, more attraction, and you know, just embrace it and enjoy the times. And uh, I think it just really shows actually how important your appearance really is. Appearance is everything. You know, I know we, we like to pretend it isn't and try to be shallow like that, but that's not true. We care about appearances no matter what. We need the attraction on there. And that's why I, you got to, you know, not only lose weight, you got to have a good drip. You got to, you know, walk the walk and just always be confident. I'm sure you agree in other ways. You, 
it took me a, it took me a while to, to get like that's something I'm like kind of part of what caked the glow up and it's something I'm still grappling with. So growing up as a kid, I I really didn't care about fashion like at all. Like I didn't understand it or care. Mm-hmm. I know like there were kids and I'm talking like fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, <laughs> all the way. You know, literally like all of my education till college graduating, I didn't care really that much about how I looked. Um, like I wouldn't really get a haircut or anything unless someone's like, wow, you look really crazy. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> unless people like started commenting on how bad I looked, I did not care. Yeah. And when I looked in the mirror, I was always fine with my, and I looked through that mirror there. I'm always fine with my, I was always fine with my reflection. But then eventually it started getting to the point where you just get so many comments that I would start feeling bad about myself. Not because I didn't like the way they, but I looked in the mirror but because I wasn't doing enough for the, the general public and I could mm-hmm. feel that. Like, I wasn't... What am I trying to say here? Like, I just really wanted to be accepted for me. Like, I just didn't... Like, I'm like, why do I have to put effort into what I wear and how... Like, why can't I just be a person and people yeah, right. get that? And there was just a point where I had to accept that's not the way it works. Like, people just... They, like, like a good presentation and I have to understand there's nothing wrong with that because I always felt that by like having to change my appearance to do this thing that I was compromising a part of my, and in a way I really am. I think fashion isn't inherently fascist, but fashion can be a fascist tool, right? Like if you mm-hmm. see a, uh, you're going to, you're just going to treat people differently based on how they're dressed. Most people are, you know, there are some people who they're going to treat the, the the CEO and the suit the same as the homeless man down the street. Like that's, that's the kind of person like I, like I'm not giving either of you money. Like this is, this is all, my, but that's the kind of person I want to be. I just want to, when I see someone, like, I want to be able to look at a person and just, like, you know, you're going to absorb and you're going to digest. And there are, because I think there's a difference between making a judgment and holding on to that judgment. And there's a difference between that and, like, a, a judgment thought popping into your head that you ignore. Is that, am I making sense? Is that? Yeah, no, you are. You, it's it's yeah. it's first impressions almost is everything with that. And I try to, what I try to do is when that thought pops in, a lot of people hold on to that first impression of the appearance of judgment. But what I try to do is like, all right, you're dressed this way. You look this way. My mind has all these, these uh, prejudices and biases. But what I try to do is I'm like, I try to ignore it. I try to throw it out. I don't suppress it. I don't repress it. Like I let the thoughts pass. But I remember that just because I have a thought in my head doesn't mean I have to associate or identify with the thought. Because you probably have crazy think. You know, like, I'm sure you've thought in the once in your life, something like, damn, I really want to push this person out the window. Like, I really want to do some crazy. Thing. Yeah, that's but a fair you statement. You don't go home and you're like, I'm a serial killer, right? Like, you don't, you're no, just like, no, no. I, I get that thought isn't me. But I know there's a lot of thoughts I had growing up where I like, you know, like, I, I think I was very hard on myself growing up. So I would like, think a negative thought. Like, I'm a piece of shit. How would I think that? Well, mm-hmm. all people are thinking crazy stuff. It's just about what you do about it. Definitely. Went off topic point i was trying to make is i eventually had to nut up and be like i'm gonna put effort into my clothing i don't like oh, the yeah. way that we're set in a society where that's how it works but i'm gonna use it to my advantage and i mm-hmm. hope that one day i plan on one day changing that like i want when i get to a point of influence and where i can really make some changes and speak to people on a mass level with my art and all that i really just i don't know i'd like to to help construct a world where fashion isn't a tool to suppress or make people feel shame, but it's just really free. Like, and you express yourself if you want to express yourself in that way. It sucks because some people don't want to express themselves in a fashionable way, but if they don't, then people are going to assume you're a bum or something. But it's just not right? the language that you speak. And it's I just guess the language that I got to learn. 
And that was the people I would say that, you know what? I am a bum. I'm, I'm, I'm the flyest bum, you know? And yeah, I think now, especially in times we are in 2021, that fashion is so broad. I mean, Lady Gaga once wore a meat suit and that was so inspiring to some people and mad and even though pissed off Pete and stuff, but it you could do that. We've seen people just make it up clothes and uh, people just having their own styles. I think if you just, it is so true. As long as you rock it, then who cares? You know, wear your shirt inside out, wear, wear your, wear your jeans as a shirt and whatever, just, just rock it in a more open world. We are in today, you know? So I, that's part of what I'm working on is some things I just want to just rock it, but uh, I I have I think there's a lot of, a lot I have to learn about fashion. That's something that I think one day in the future I'm in no rush right now, but I do see myself in like ten or twenty years really diving a little bit more into fashion because there's a lot of arts and I'm a, I'm the kind of person who I want to do so many things. Like I want to animate, I want to play instruments, oh, hell yeah. I want to do all these things, but. Like I care so much about the other arts that I'm doing right now that I, I don't want, you know, the phrase Jack of all trades, master of none. Yes, I want to master a couple of things before I start, you know, like, cause I, I want to spread myself. Then it's just the kind of person. Yeah. You want to show your brand. You want to prove yourself. You yeah. want to get the, you want to gain a following and give them a purpose to listen and also a place to learn and have fun, man. And you definitely have my support with it. Like I've said, I watch your TikToks. I've seen your stuff. It's uh. It's really cool. It's a really cool brand that I really can't wait to see grow some more, man. And, you know, keep doing your thing because you have not. I'm sure there's hundreds of people besides me really support you on this journey for it. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all about your journey. I'm I'm the Matt, team Matt Brown. Yes, man. Team Productive Conversations. Now, Tom, I want to get into your stand up, man. You yes, are a funny person. You know that? So I've been. <laughs> you know, I do. I think I do know that. I'm going to be cocky sometimes. Absolutely. So you mentioned before before you did sketch at some point. I'll still do sketch, but you're into that. And you said you started stand up uh, now three years ago. So can you tell me, was there a defining moment where you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go on stage. Was there anything that happened to make this possible to bring you here today? Yes, yes, definitely. So the the push to stand up. Um, so there, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you A and B. So yeah, I originally first did like three like stand up open mics in like twenty. They weren't stand up, sorry. They were like general open mics in 2017. And I did a couple of things. I tried poetry. I did stand up, and I was just testing some stand up, but I wasn't. I hadn't yet commit to, um, what's the word? I didn't yet like commit hundred percent to, to stand up if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But there was a point where I was at the, I was at the bar with my friend Luca and my friend Bill, who's passed away now. Sorry um, about that, man. And Rest in thank peace. And we were talking at, at, at a bar, which I believe is closed down now. It's like two blocks away down the street. Um, which Elijah's, bar is this? Where is this at? I think it's Elijah's in Holyoke. I'm pretty sure it's closed down now. In Holyoke. Elizer's Holyoke. Yeah, Elizer. 
Um, it was like it was where Bill Bill would go there a lot. He would drink there sometimes. And, um, and where's in Holyoke? Is it uh, where, where which like state and city is this in? Oh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. You're from Connecticut, right? Yep. 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 All, All right. Two, three. Fairfield County boy. Okay, but talk to me about that. So we were there, and uh, I've done. They were Luca and Bill had been a part of my uh, sketch comedy shows. They were called Tomfoolery. It's like SNL. It was Tomfoolery Sketch mm-hmm. Comedy Live. And we were just out for a drink one day and we were talking about comedy and we started talking about stand-up. And we, you know, I think there's a point in a lot of people's lives where like, I want to do stand-up the same way there's a point where you're like, I want to be a pop star, I want to be this. <laughs> and that's something we're all we're all involved in comedy, arts, performing arts. So we kind of we we already were comfortable on stage. We already had this um backup. But even then, a lot of people are still like you can be a, an actor and perform, but that's like someone else's lines that you're reading and you have a director. But stand-up right. comedy is still really intimidating, even if you have a performative experience background. So it was basically one of those conversations where we had kind of come to the conclusion that if we all did it together, then we would totally do it. And I, that was so motivating for me where I was like, as I said, stand-up comedy is a lonely thing. So as soon as I thought, I, as soon as I was like, okay, I have Luke and I have Bill, I could do this. Mm-hmm. So then I started like getting ready. I started going to open mics. Uh, I went to a couple open mics. Just, uh, what, what am I, I'm trying to remember the, how the order of events. So we had the conversation. They said, yeah, we're going to do stand-up with you. Then I started doing stand-up, and they couldn't make it the first couple of times. And then they could make it. Mm-hmm. And then like they were like, oh, we're not ready to do it yet. And Luca was like, oh, I still want to work on my stuff. Um, Bill, sadly, like this is, this is really depressing. Uh, I love Bill a lot. He ended up only being able to do he took his own life this is there's a whole the whole conversation here about bill and this man and the ways he's inspired and influenced me but um he sadly only got to do one set like i remember seeing one set that he did he came to support me a couple of times um i'm going off on a tangent basically it was bill and luca mm-hmm. and that memory will always stick to me because bill isn't with us today so because of that i always think like damn like like we hadn't had that like just to hear you guys say like and they didn't end up doing it as much as I did, but hearing that they were going to be there. And even though they didn't do stand up on there with me, they did come to support was, was enough for it's me like, to have people there in the sidelines. Like it's, it's nice. But some people would prefer that no one they know is watching them. But mm-hmm. yeah, so that it was that conversation in the bar. It was having other people there. That was the push that was like, I'm stand up. And then I started doing it and I loved it. Like, I was like, well, I'm not going to stop now until a pandemic hit. And then I kind of haven't done it as much, but Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. I see. Well, definitely, Bill's always with us, and yeah. you already angel for that too. And uh, yeah, so okay, so not as much stand up in the pandemic as a lot of people. But do you plan on resuming that once the pandemic ends, as we're on the finish line to this? Yeah, I did. Um, <clears throat> I did like two shows last year, and one was a drive-in show, which was really cool. It was like drive-in right. theater, but the screen. Yeah. So what it is is. Um, you're up there, right? And you're talking, and then the mic is being fed into the FM. So you're just there in the car. So that was really cool. But all you right. can't hear the last bit. Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm just saying, all right. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <clears throat> you can't hear the laughter. So what I did is I just asked them to honk their horns. I was like, just honk yeah. your horns. So it was really mm-hmm. satisfying whenever I got the So I was like, okay, cool, cool. Uh, and then the beginning of the year, like I basically, in the past year, I've probably done stand up five times, which is not. Like before that, like 2019, I was hitting four to five open mics a week and like wow. trying to do shows where I could. Yeah, I was like, I 
uh, I'm gonna give this one. I to give myself props. I improved a lot in a short amount of time because I I put the work into it. Yeah, there's still that's, so much fucking work I gotta do, but like just the hustle, man. That's what uh, that's what I you know I listen podcast the podcasting industry, especially comedians, special place for going podcasts. And you know you hear it is always just getting sets no matter what. That's the key to get better. And you probably do have years of abuse ahead, but the end result, if you get passed by a club, you're said you get to make people laugh for a living. And, you know, for you and your journey, this was is mostly Massachusetts is you finding these open mics. Where are you usually performing? Massachusetts and Connecticut. That's how I that's how I know Cliff is from uh, yeah. Connecticut. Because he would come down to the Bishop's Lounge. Um for those open mics and I would go up to elbow room for those open mics. So that's kind of like how we right. each other, but yeah. So that's where I would do open mics and shows. Um, and I did a couple open mics in Albany. I've done a couple open mics in Albany too, but uh, open mics, Albany, Massachusetts, Connecticut shows, Massachusetts and Connecticut. All right. Oh man, yeah. this is great. And again, don't forget to check out Chom Roche comedy on Instagram to see this. And then, man, I'm really can't wait to see some tour dates. I if I could be there, I'll see one of your shows. I promise. And there's, 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 I'm, I plan on towards, again, as I said, like right now, I'm focusing a little more on like music videos and stuff. Yep. Mostly because I, I feel like I like the comfort in knowing that if we shoot a music video and there's a lockdown tomorrow, I can work on my music video at home. But <laughs> right. if I'm out practicing open mics and there's a lot, like that's like, um, but as time passes, I start to miss stand up comedy more and more. And I've been writing, oh my God, I forgot this. Um, On Friday, the two days before Valentine's Day, the 12th, uh, uh, a friend of mine hit me up, Kevin. He was like, hey, this is really random, but do you, can you do a stand up comedy show for me and my girlfriend on Valentine's Day? <laughs> and, uh, like, but like, it was literally like, so this is what it was. It was in there, like, they have a, a he has an apartment. So it was basically me performing for two people in their living room. But it was really gratifying and fulfilling because I can say that. Like someone paid me to do a personal stand-up comedy set in their room. Like that's all. Like I got paid. That's to some do rich people up. shit who do that. <laughs> uh, they weren't rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he just, he, he just, I. He said really. I'll say this. He said really nice things, and he's a really good person. And oh, what it was is when him and his girlfriend started dating. Their, I think one of their first dates was a comedy show that I set up last year on Valentine's Day. Look at that. And and what he said was, he was like, yeah, she told me that when I took her to that show, he said the show was so good that you guys put on. He said, like, I took her to that show and that's kind of when she realized that, like, I was serious about her and all this stuff. Damn. So it was a year later and he was like, I want to do that for her again. Man, so, he owes you. <laughs> <laughs> There's, um... Yeah. So yeah, I just want to I just want to share that story for stand up comedians because it's like you never know. Like someone might just hit you up and be like, "Perform for me alone in a room," and like you got to take that fucking. Because part about being stand up, you're gonna perform in the weirdest places. You're gonna perform in school cafeterias. You're gonna be, I once performed at a bar in Holyoke at one a.m. at night during a rap show. It was a rap show. <laughs> I got to perform, and dude, I never bombed so hard in my life. Like mm-hmm. I, like, it was the kind of bombing. Where people are like, put the fucking music back on. This old old lady started getting mad at me. She started heckling me, telling me that she was funnier. So I gave her the mic because she was funnier than me. I was like, you know, here, have the mic, talk some shit. And when I took the mic back, I started going into self-deprecating humor. And she only heard the insults that I was giving to myself. 
but she didn't hear who I was giving them to. So as I'm doing this humor, she starts being like, yo, are you talking shit about me? Yo, what are you saying? Like, what the white you talking? She's like, you're trying to fucking fight? And I'm like, ma'am, I'm talking about myself. Like, yeah. Like, this room is neat. Like, I didn't say ugly bitch or anything. Laugh at my like, pain. Jokes I had. I had some tiny dick jokes. I don't know. I was, I was panicking. Oh, I was also, uh, I don't like to smoke before comedy. There's a couple mm-hmm. times where, like, I've, like, taken an edible and I had a good time up there. But Got that it. was one night where I had, there was a bunch of, it was a bunch of local rappers and they were smoking up. So I was like, yeah, I'll smoke. But man, I was up there for 30 minutes, which I don't, I don't. That was like, a long time. When you're starting stand up, your sets are like five to 15 minutes. So you I did was a whole 30. For, and it was mostly like, I'm telling you right now for like 20 of those. For, let's see. I was up there. If I was up there for like, I mean, I'm gonna say 25 minutes. It was like 24 of those minutes. No one was laughing. It was, <laughs> it was fucking horrible. I felt like a win when someone smiled. Like if someone hey. smiled, like I almost, like I almost, I was, I was very emotional after. I never had such a bombing experience. Mm-hmm. And I want to share this because, like, it's sometimes people are like, "How do you do it?" And it isn't to say that the losses don't fucking hit when they hit. When I came down, the they were really nice about it. Um, because it was like I, I bombed. I just kind of assumed they were like, "This dude fucking sucks." And then I go to stand off to the side, and then everyone starts dapping me up, even though I made not a single person laugh. But made a couple of them smile. They dapped me up, and they were like, "I respect what you just did." Because they were all rappers, and they had also bombed before, and they know what it's like to perform for an audience who isn't reacting. And that gesture that they had, like that, just that gesture of them being like, "Yo, like, like, good job, I respect it, do what you gotta do." I almost started crying because I was so, I felt so defeated that just having someone, some those guys there to pick me back up and be like, "Hey, like, you sucked, but like, we get it, like, we've been there." Like, I was like, "Oh my god," I felt so much better. Like, it was great. So, just want to share Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Sometimes you do shit and you feel you want to cry. Like you want to, even if it's just comedy, like comedy can make you cry. It's crazy. But that's one of my worst comedy experiences for sure. Dude, you're, you, I commend you on that. And yeah, sometimes when you have very emotional profound experiences, it, it takes a toll and you try and overcome it and, you know, respect anyone who lets that emotions out and, you know, all the greats bombed. Everyone, I, I'm sure, and you, we've heard it a million times. It's just part of the game. That's how you become better. You can't do. You can't be hilarious 100 percent of the time. How do you grow and act with that? It has to be a game worth fighting for. It's like working out. You're you're, you're working towards something to make yourself better, right? You kind of have to get excited to bomb. Like there, I kind of have to set myself up and be like, all right, I'm bombing tonight, and it's I'm really tonight. <laughs> If you kill, you're great. And if you bomb, you're like, well, I knew it was bombing, so I'm not disappointed. That isn't to say to go and defeat it. I think it's different to go in and be like, I'm not funny. No one's going to laugh. That's one thing. And it's another thing to go in and say, I am funny. And if no one laughs, that's not my fault. And that's the mentality you got to have yeah. to stand up. Because if people are laughing, it's, and it took me a couple months to learn, like, not to take it personally. It just means like, oh, this shit, I got to work on, or you're just not the audience for these jokes. And I'm also yeah. saying this for anyone in any art or any performance. Like, remember, Knowing your, I something too. I just got to sing it to remind myself. Know your audience, because sometimes people will show their friends their art or certain people things, and they just feel like they suck because they keep showing people things and not getting the reactions that they're showing. But maybe you're just showing the wrong people. So that's something I learned too. That you gotta. There really is such things as different artists. Like oh, bad people say good crowd tonight, bad crowd tonight, and you know. So I know also like you know, different groups, uh, you know, and different ethnicity groups also are different audiences. Oh, yeah. And at the end of the day, though, would you agree that funny is funny despite the various audiences that are out there? 
Yeah, funny is funny. Like I can, you can, you, I can have someone going up. I can, I can see a comedian go up and be like, "You didn't make me laugh, and I didn't find you funny, but funny is funny, and I know you're funny, right?" Like you can hear a song, and you may not like the song, but you still gotta give props and respect to the talent. So I agree completely. I may not find you funny, but funny is funny, and I gotta wherever wherever props are due, I'll give. Them. Absolutely, man. Sometimes you hate like giving credit to people who are funny at certain times, but hey. Oh yeah, I, and I. I but I also, one of the reasons that made me smile <laughs> is because I love when I make someone laugh at something that they don't want to laugh at. <laughs> Damn it, you got me. That's my whole comedy philosophy. My, I remember one time, I forget what I was doing. I was going for a walk or, was I going for a walk? I forget. But I, re- I think I was going for a nightly walk. Because I didn't want to run because my legs hurt. So I was like, I'll walk instead. <laughs> and on the walk, I was thinking about comedy and I was thinking about jokes. And I forgot how I came there, but this this epiphany helped me out. And I think it's important to figure out, like, hey, why do we do art? What draws us? Like, because I was, oh, that's what I was trying to figure out. I was trying to figure out what my comedic style is, because mm-hmm. every everyone has a style. Eventually, they develop one when they're doing art. And I hadn't quite like I know I had one, and people kind of like, oh, you have a very calm sense of humor. So I was like, how do I get there? Like, what is my creative process? And I realized part of how I make jokes is I think of something horrible that you shouldn't laugh at. And then I think, how do I get people to laugh at this? So that's my whole thing. It's just like, let me think of like a horrible joke or a horrible topic that you shouldn't joke about or laugh at. How can I take that and make it funny? So whenever, I'm just kind of different than what you're saying, because sometimes people are like corny or a different kind of humor that you don't like. They still make you laugh. You're like, damn, like that wasn't offensive or anything. But like, you got me to laugh even though I didn't, like, I don't want to give you the satisfaction, Um, which is something I do to my friends all the time. Mm -hmm. I always try to see corny things that'll make them laugh. Because I love the look of defeat in their face when they laugh at something they don't want to laugh at. That's something that, like, I'm known for. Like, that's one of those things that I do. Like, I'll say something to my friends. And um, they try not to, like, I love when I see someone trying not to smile. Because they know if they smile or laugh that I'm going to do it again. Because um, it's that. What's the word? Validation. If I get that validation, I'm like, oh, I'm going to keep doing this thing. But. I'm up, we I'm got up. you there. We put it through. That's, again, that's the big win in making people laugh. And that's why you're just so damn funny. Even just the way you tell your stories and little, you know, little snippets in there. I think it's awesome. I think he's really cool. You know, one of the things I also wanted to ask, you mentioned one story already, but how do you deal with hecklers? Are you someone who, as you mentioned that one story, you actually gave them audience like, I never even heard of the big one. Just give them like, just do it yourself then. But has there been any other stories that relate or you just let it go? Right. Or do you, or you like when Cliff told me on the show that he straight up was about to fight one heckler? What do you do? All right, so that that's the worst. That's the closest I got to actual heckling. I've had people talk during sets. Not to be rude. So heckling can be heckling is just speaking when you're not supposed to speak. Like you can like someone shouting out like you suck and someone shouting out I love you are both heckled. Now I'm gonna respond differently. Obviously, if you're heckling with I love you, I'm gonna be like I love you too. Like I'm not gonna get mad at you. I'm going to be like, this is really endearing. Like heckling is just interrupting the show and making it about you. As soon as the attention is pulled from me to someone in the audience, you have heckled, even if it's a positive heckle. That being said, um, I don't think I've gotten many negative heckles. I've had people make comments. I've had people talk really loud. I'm, I kind of do the thing where I'm like, uh, I'm trying to think it's been a bit since I've gotten heckled like that. But mm-hmm. um, I've definitely just, I'm sure I've just gotten, I can picture myself like having just gone quiet and been like, <clears throat> and just like, like I'll, I'll turn into a teacher. I'll be like, right, I'm going to continue in the classes. Like, I haven't thought of any clever, funny way to respond to heckling yet, but I haven't been heckled badly. 
Yeah. Um, but there's two good stories I have that are one's a bombing story and one's someone else's bombing story. But like it's like, I'm just tell the story. So the first time, tell me, I I went up to the Bishop's Lounge. This was early into comedy, a couple months in, and my friend Gabe is gonna come see me, and he comes right after I perform. And I didn't think <laughs> like I I have my there's like the standards you have for yourself, right? Like you're like this is where I want to be, and then sometimes you feel like you're right here. But then people are like, no, nah, bro, you're, you're actually really here. But it doesn't matter because you want to be here. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like I didn't do as good as I felt I should have during the set. But people were telling me, like, no, nah, like, you did a good job. And then Gabe came and he's like, how did you do? And I was like, I felt like I did, like, shit. But, like, some of the other comedians were kind of adamant that I, I did good. So I think mm-hmm. I did good. Uh, and then as I tell him this, we're, we're on the – there's a porch on the on the outside. There's, like, a – what's the – like, like, a balcony on Bishop's Lounge. Right. This person comes out. And they say, um, how is it that they worded it? This used to be part of my stand-up bit too, but I'm, it's been a while, so I'm trying to remember it. Mm-hmm. They essentially came up to me after one of the audience members came up to me after the mic, and they were like, dude, I just wanted to say, now, 99% of the time when someone comes up to me after performing with a smile on their face, and they're like, hey, they're going to compliment me. They're going to be like, yo, you did great, da 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 mm-hmm. So as soon as that person came, they were right in the front of the, the audience, by the way, so I recognized them, because sometimes like I was doing the jokes and I would look right at them. So this, uh, she comes out and she's like, I just wanted to say that, like, you bombed so hard out there. And I said, she smiling. Bombed, like, but she kept smiling. Like, she said it with the energy of a compliment, which is what weird about what was weird about it. Like, it was like normally someone would be like, "Yo, you bombed," but she said it like you did great. She was like, "You bombed," and like I thought you were gonna stop, but then you just kept going and going and going. And she, it was like, she was telling me I sucked, but she said it in such an endearing way that I didn't feel totally bad. <laughs> but I think part of what she was trying to say is she was impressed that despite the fact that I sucked, like I kept it professional. She was like, yeah, like you didn't look, I felt like, I felt like shit up there, but I guess I have a good way of like, you can't always tell when I'm nervous up there. Sometimes like you can tell, but she was like, yeah, like you came off across as someone who wasn't bombing, even though you were like, I had the energy, like I was killing it, even though I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is part of what I think she respected. And then someone she came with comes out and he comes out and he's like, Hey, what are you guys talking about? And then he, what are you, Oh, what are we talking about? And then he turns over and then he sees that she's talking to me. And then he goes, Oh, <laughs> buddy, that was rough. And that's just like, a, damn, like I sucked that much that the dude looked at me and immediately like threw pity at me. I was like, wow, like that was a bad set, but they were so kind about it. Like there was, there was no, it was really no malicious intent. There was, it was like a friend saying like, bro, you fucking like, were horrible and you're like yeah i was so that was kind of what it was uh this there's this other time so this was at the elbow room i'm not actually sure cliff might have been there i don't remember mm-hmm. but there was a lot of local uh hartford local comics there I forget if cliff was there he might have been there and left early but uh are you familiar with other other connecticut comics can other connecticut uh connecticut specific ones not really just ex- okay. just really cliff gotcha um so essentially, I went with my friend Muhammad, and Muhammad had never done stand up before. He saw I did stand up, and I sometimes people are like, "Hey, man, like I want to go do stand up with you." So I was like, "Yeah, come I can do it too." Me. Yeah, it's like that. But I always say like, like just I'll tell you when I go and come with me because people always want to like sit down and set workshopping days and write, which I can mm-hmm. do. But like it's hard. This is a whole conversation. Point is, I'm just like, if you want to do stand up and you want me to help you, or you want to do my journey, just like come with me when I go. Like it's better to. Like, I prefer to do comedy when I'm doing comedy as opposed to, like, when I'm not. Anyway. Um, so we get there, and by the time he's about to go up, he's drunk. 
and <laughs> he he's kind of talking a little bit during other people's sets. He's not saying anything negative, but you know, if you're talking, it's coming across the heckling. And I noticed some of the comedians notice. So when it's his turn to go up, he goes up. Muhammad is uh, Egyptian, Puerto Rican, black, but he's uh, like a combo. Um, so he's like he's like you know he's like he's like my skin tone. Um, so he starts going up there, and he's got dreads. Now the lighting is washing him out, so he looks like whiter up there, but he's definitely not like when you see him in normal lighting, you're like, oh, I this dude's a white. But as he's talking, he's saying nigga this, nigga that, and he's talking, and he's saying the n-word. And one of the comedians, Denver, thinks that he's a white dude up there. He thinks that he's a white dude with dreads throwing the n-word around on stage. Mm. And as and then he starts. So I'm there with my friend, and the other comedian starts yelling at Muhammad because he thinks Muhammad is white when he's not. Oh like, he yeah, saying, yeah. Like I'm telling you, like he's mad. He's like, get the like the comics, like get the fuck off stage, like da da da. Like I'm literally like he was gonna fight him, like he was going to fight Muhammad. And then Muhammad is just like, you know what? I'm not. He's like, I'm too drunk for this. I'm gonna come down. Now what he did not know is that Muhammad was a boxer, and if he tried to fight Muhammad, Muhammad would have been slow. a skinnier black dude talking to a really a fucking a man who's shredded and would like destroy you. And I remember afterwards, I I love I love the people there, and I like the elbow room, and I didn't want to I didn't want to leave on that note Definitely. at all. So Muhammad was like, "They're not going to want to talk. Let's just go." And but I was like, "I think we should like." I was like, "I kind of like I I want to I want to make sure we're good before we go." So I went over to them, and I was like, "Hey, like, do you guys mind like if I could buy you guys a drink? If like we can just talk and squash this beef?" And Denver's like, "Man, I don't got anything to say to blah, blah, blah. Like he's like, I, "I'm mad." And I'm like, I really think there's a misunderstanding here. I was like, and he's like, you know, I'll go talk to you. So I go upstairs and I tell Muhammad, I'm like, bro, they want to talk to us. I was like, uh, I talked to them. They're down to have a conversation. He's like, I don't want to have a conversation. Like, they're just going to try to fight. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't going to be a fight. Like, let's just, we're all adults here. Let's talk. So as soon as we go upstairs and he starts talking to Muhammad, he realizes that Muhammad isn't white. And it's, and then eventually like everyone starts bonding and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, See, I'll, never, I'll never forget two of the things Denver said. One of them was that uh, he was like, how the fuck were you not going to tell me that he was a boxer while I was heckling him? He could have kicked my ass at any moment. <laughs> he was kind of talking about how he kind of grew up like in the, I forget what he is. He started, we made it, made it sound like he kind of grew up in the suburbs around a bunch of white people. Mm-hmm. So it was really funny. When Muhammad was like, how are you going to come at me for saying the N word? When like, you, it was just this whole, this whole thing. But, uh, but yeah, I wish I told that story a little better, but that's kind of, oh, was good. that though. wasn't, that wasn't me getting heckled. But I just remember feeling really involved because that was my friend. <laughs> a very huge misunderstanding. You wouldn't have gotten the chance without you. And uh, you have the great stories for life after that, man. <laughs> you know who my favorite heckler is? Who? You see, you know, SpongeBob. You know yeah. that, uh, oh, brother, this guy stinks. Ever see that clip? Oh, yeah. That's a really good impression of him, too. Like, <laughs> is that something that you practiced? No, I just I looked up really quick. What did he say? And I just remembered one thing I am trying to work on. I would love to be an impressionist. It's here or there, but like whether I mean the either ones with the Donald Trump or the Bacchanada Schwarzenegger or um, like I could I'm really good at hearing them in my head, like whoever to make fun of like the jokes on it. And they am tired. Was that Bill Cosby? I was just Joe Cosby. Yeah, my impressions are, I, I, I really want to do them. I practice them. Some days good, some days bad. But it's just like 
it's almost like singing. I've heard it's like you have to hit different notes with certain people. That was one way someone explained it. But like, again, I can hear the person in my head, but it's just getting it out there. It could be hit or miss. Can, can you do any impressions? Um, let me think. I feel like there's one really obvious one that I'm thinking of that I can. Oh, have you ever seen uh, Rick and Morty? Or oh Adventure? yeah, we have Are a Rick and Morty with... poster right up there. You know Mr. Meeseeks, right? <laughs> Yeah, man. Okay, are you familiar with Lemon Grab from Adventure Time? Yes, actually. Okay, it's been so a long time, but I haven't seen that. But yes, great show, but very underrated legacy. Royland, who does the voice of Rick Morty and Me Six, he does Lemon Grab. So I'm gonna do. Hold on. It's very loud, so I'm gonna back away a bit. But if anyone recognizes Mr. Me Six, let me practice it real quick. Mr. Me Six, that was really grab, good, grab. by the way. I thought it was good. <laughs> That's my lemon grab impression. Anyone my... who doesn't know those characters, look them up. It's like pretty good. It was a pretty good impression, but they hurt. Well, you know, um, it's like, is that what to do? I can't do this. I can't do Shut up! Something that should have been brought to my attention yesterday. Wait, what? Oh my god, what was that? This should have been brought to my attention yesterday. Uh what was that? What movie? What movie show? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Happy Madison, but I'm gonna look it up. Brought to my attention yesterday. That is the wedding singer. It's the wedding singer. You know what my favorite wedding singer quote is? You guys are getting married. Whoopity doo! That's my favorite love. Hey everyone, before we get back into Tom Roche, just want to remind you all to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out our exclusive site, ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com and check out all the great things we have to offer on that site. Whether it's our amazing merchandise store, thanks to Zazzle, whether it's checking out every single one of our podcasts, whether it's checking out my blogs I've written or checking out all the video podcasts we have created as well well all exclusive content regarding the productive conversations podcast is here on the productive conversations website productiveconversationspodcast.com to check out all things regarding this amazing podcast and don't forget also check us out in the world of social media we're on instagram at productive conversations podcast we're on tiktok at productive conversations and we're on twitter at prod i appreciate you all the greatest listeners and fans in the world. Now back to the great Tom Roche. But it's just like, sometimes I do voices and um, I never really offend people, but there's definitely like one or two people who in the past I've been That's like, fucked up. Yeah, like don't get your panties twisted. It's just, I guess, a yeah, funny voice. Like you said, again, I think there's a clear difference between doing a bit and, you know, like actually being malicious and mean, I think you could see the tones and you could see the motivations behind it. And like, can you walk with me more? You know, when I say stuff like that, some people say comedy is dead. How can we be funny if um, how can we be funny if you are so offended so easily? But what would you have to say for that? 
it goes back to our, our conversation earlier about know your audience. If people are getting mm-hmm. offended, they're just not your audience. Like it, people are so quick to be like, like cancel culture is, is real, but it's not as bad as we, we think it is. You know, people are loud and annoying and they try to cancel. But if you really think about the people who get canceled, like, like Harvey Weinstein got canceled, but this dude was out here like sexually assaulting, harassing. Yes. You know, if you commit a crime, you should be canceled. Not, okay, because I, I would say crime. If you do something that, you know, is morally wrong, because crime yes. isn't necessarily morally Absolutely. wrong. But if you're out here, like, taking advantage and hurting people, like, you know, like, I get why you would want to, like, you, you're going to get canceled. But there yeah. is some, a lot of times, like, it's like, for example, uh, Kevin Hart. Do you remember where where they pulled that old tweet he made? It was like a I like six-year-old like tweet. tweets, yeah. Yeah, let me see if I can find it. Kevin Hart tweet. Uh, right. Kevin Hart in the Oscars. Oscars host. He, he had to step yes, away from the Oscars. He says, yo, if my son comes home and tries to play with my daughter's dollhouse, I'm going to break it over his head and say in my voice, stop, that's gay. So that's something he tweeted in 2011. So he was going to host the Oscars, and then someone pulled that tweet up, and they tried to cancel him and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think he ended up apologizing, and he himself decided not to host the Oscars, right. which is really smart PR move and is a very mature move and all this stuff. But I, if he didn't do that, I don't think he would have been canceled. I think his woke audience would have, the people who are offended by it, they're going to be like, I don't fuck with Kevin Hart right now. But that's the sacrifice Kevin Hart chooses to make. Kevin Hart is choosing to make those people his audience, right? For example, someone like Louis C.K., uh, some people might think he's canceled, but he dropped a special, was it last year, right? I think last year he dropped a special. I don't know if you, if you follow Louis C.K., or if you're like, if he's um, yeah, I'm not really a much of a Louis fan, but uh, yeah. So explain to me, you were saying though, with what happened. So for anyone who doesn't know, I don't know if you're familiar with the whole thing. There was this whole scandal where basically yeah. looked at the whole masturbating thing. If you don't, if you're listening, Google it, but he, he got like canceled per se, but at the end of the day, he was still, he's still able to drop. He's at a point of success. There's a point of success you reach where you can't be canceled. If you can fund your own art, like Louis C.K. is out here, he can fund his own shows, he can fund his own this, that. He puts it up on his website. doesn't matter if he gets canceled because the audience that matters is there. So cancel culture is real. If you choose to pander to that audience, then you're going to have to deal with the consequences and the restrictions and have to really monitor what you're saying. But if you choose to just be like, I'm going to speak and whoever listens is listening, then you can never get canceled because you're always going to have the audience that you get what I'm saying, right? I do get what you're saying. And it's, yeah, it just depends. We're just make sure lessons learned. Just again, just continue just to do the right thing and make sure you have the thing, these things come together and such, you know, and just make sure, like you said, most of all is to know your audience. Funny is funny at the end of the day and just do your best to continue to entertain and inspire, but just be aware of the world we're living in now. That's how I look at it at least. In Northampton, where I did a lot of, uh, where I started the open mics, and I did, a, I've done a lot of comedy in Northampton. Northampton, Massachusetts, is a very liberal place. It's a very like LBGQ, like very liberal, progressive area. But it's one of those areas that is, it kind of fits that stereotype of like, um, the the sensitive liberal, like the snow. It kind of fits that stereotype. So, like I know there's a lot of comedians who don't like coming to Northampton because like you tell them you say. You try the wrong, jo- so you try a joke, and if you don't have it mastered yet, like this is the problem with people who are listening to. I'm just going to talk open mic specifically. 
Open mics are a place to workshop and experiment and try out new jokes. To get offended or upset at a joke at an open mic is insane. Just trying to do something not, new. Yeah, it, it's they're not they haven't figured it out yet. Like if let's say I want to tackle and a, a, a risky subject, no one's gonna get it right the first try. You know what I mean? Like if I want to make a, subjects about race, if I want to talk about rape or sexual harassment or this and that, now there are jokes that aren't funny. There's just shit that's like offensive, right? But I think we have to. You have to if you're in an audience in an open mic. These people are workshopping and they're new to it. Like, there's no point in getting offended. There's no point in getting mad. I mean, you can let the people know. I say this. If someone says something that offends you at a show, I've had people come up to me and been like, hey, that joke you told, you know, that was I hate that. But when it comes to just the um, the attitude and the stuff, sometimes you get to get the, these, these vibes from areas like that. But the upside of performing for a very like woke audience is it forces me to be creative and think outside the box. So there's a lot of jokes that I've come up with and a lot of ways to tackle offensive things that I wouldn't have thought of if it wasn't for having to try to cater to a very sensitive audience. So I want to say like, that's a really cool. That's, that's a neat part about like cancel culture. Woke ish people is they're going to push you to be funny in a way that you weren't before. If you yeah, choose that to take that challenge. That is a great way to put it, and I guess really hasn't been explored. It really does trade you. You have to do a plan B. And again, as we said, most of the time in the theme, funny is funny. So you could be funny even with these quote-unquote restrictions and still provide it off, don't you think? Yeah, I think for some people. Some people can't, not because they couldn't if they tried. Like, for example, I'll say on I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pull a comic out, right? I'm gonna say Bill Burr. I think if Bill Burr Bill wanted to pander to certain audiences, he could. He's hilarious. He can do whatever he wants to do. Oh but yeah, he's great at heckling hecklers. Yeah, he will. He will fucking destroy a heckler, and he won't bend to the whim of the audience. You know, like I, I wouldn't consider myself someone who bends to the whim of my audience, but I'd like to know, like, all right, like, what are the kinds of jokes that'll make this crowd laugh? Like, what are the kind of jokes that will make this crowd laugh? Like, I think there's my own humor that I find funny. And then I try to find how that humor works with different groups. But there are other comedians who are just themselves. Like, it's just, they're going to tell the jokes they want to tell. And they don't give a fuck who the audience is. Like, Tom Segura is a comedian. He's like, it doesn't matter who I'm performing to. Black, white, young, old, Asian, uh, Australian. I'm going to tell the jokes that I want to tell. Where other comedians might be like, all right, I'm going I'm to I'm change my, my set a little bit. You know, I, I kind of, I know what's more likely to maybe make this group laugh or make this, this, this region laugh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's another thing to cons- that. Uh, so I forget what I'm responding to, but I know it's related to something mm-hmm. that you said. No, you just about this. Uh, you're just mentioning about the political correctness of comedy, how it's either it can be challenging. It can be an obstacle to overcome, but we won't let that bring us down. And we are still able to overcome that. And as you said, just know your audience and you will still be funny with that. And I actually appreciate that because a lot of people I've never heard. I mean, when you said the one thing I like about cancel culture, I literally never heard that sentence before, <laughs> but you were able to do it. And that's a new idea that I never really thought of. And uh, you're, you're definitely having a video highlight of that. But I think it's just a genuine thing people should hear out. So thank you for that. Oh, thank Maybe you it isn't for- so bad. 
that's, I mean, I mean, it's bad, but like it, there's a silver lining in everything, you know. And part of that comes from I've been involved with art for a really long time, and so I so I'll tell you like what got me into it is when I was really young. Um, so before I was even born, this this goes back to like so when my mom and my dad started dating in high school, my dad owned a camcorder, and they would <laughs> film like short films on the camcorder with the family. Like they would just like make a movie, da da da. So when I was when I was a kid, when I was five or six, we would do that with like my cousins and my dad and my family. Like we would take a camcorder and like let's say like this is before Windows Movie Maker. This is before like video editing software. Mm-hmm. So it would be like you have a camcorder with the like the tape in it. And then for the opening credits, we would write the title of the movie and then we would record it. And then we would move the camera down on the piece of paper. Like, you know, like uh, in Star Wars, they, they kind of do the text crawl that way, right? Like it's moving down the thing. So that's how we would do the credits. And then because we couldn't that, that, edit. That's pretty clever. That's a pretty clever way to do it. And because we couldn't edit, we would. Uh, so like say we had to cut to one scene to another. It's just the old school pause. And when you got to go to the next scene, you continue playing, like, you know, we have everything set up. Right. So we, would, so we were basically, like, live. Like, if you made a mistake, you were fucked. Like, it's just kind of whatever. But they were <laughs> two little home videos that we made. Um, But I've, from a young age, I have been used to having to try to find ways to, uh, like, overcome obstacles. You know, it's like, oh, we don't have all this technology, so, like, we're going to do this. I don't have this, so I'm going to try that. So... Adding on to the, um, the whole like the the silver lining to cancel culture, I find in general in art, some of my my best art is always where there's limitations. Um, it's always really hard. If I had like complete freedom, like if I if I can do whatever the fuck I want, like it takes me forever to to come up or create with something because the possibilities are endless. But I like limits because then I at least know like all right, I don't have to think about this. Like, like if I if I for example, if I there's this thing called 24-hour theater festivals, and they'll give you so the way it works is they pick a random writer. So let's say I'm the writer, and they give me a random amount, a random cast size from two to five. So let's say I pull out a random number and I get five, and I have uh, 12 hours to write a 10-page script, and then they have um, the next 12, 24 hours. So I have 12 hours to write, and then they have 12 hours to rehearse, perform, and do it, and then they talk do, about like, training, <laughs> and they do six six of these 10 minute scenes. And so it's an hour thing in total, but that's one of those examples where I have the limits. So I get a prompt. So I have to follow the prompt and then I get the cast. So I think like, all right, you can look at it as the downside. Like, Oh, I want to write a scene with three people, but they gave me five, but I prefer to look at it as like, how am I going to make this five person scene work? Now I have to think less. It's like, it's not thinking more, it's thinking less because without the parameters, I have to think like, where is this to take place? Who are the characters? How many are there? But when people are telling you those things for you, it's easy. Like if you have a, a budget of zero dollars, there's there's a the silver lining to that is like, well, I know we're not fucking putting Iron Man in this movie. You know, like I know. What, <laughs> so, so if we have a budget of zero dollars, let's make a film about people in a fucking living room. You know, like let's let's work with that. And I get passionate about that because I've definitely been um, discouraged by like lack of resources or this and that. But I find. I still move and I don't want anyone else to think where I don't have the money. I don't have this. I don't have, I don't have what people have, Like you can find a way. And if you really want to do it, really promise in my heart of hearts that you can do it. And I think art is just so important. It's just, Oh my God, man. To just uh, like this right here is an art. Like this is, I bet this keeps you sane. Like this is probably something really meaningful 
if this is your baby, like I, that you have so much love and care that you put into it. And it's not just a way for you to express yourself and for other people to express themselves, but you're like, we're talking about collaborative, collaborative, collaborative art earlier. So we're doing right here. Like I fucking like, so I just get mad excited sometimes, but this is, I encourage you do it, man. Thank you for that excitement and excitement and energy. And it just, it's oddly that this has been work. You know I mean? We've been at it for an hour and a half and it doesn't feel like it's just us talking at the end of the day. It's just, we just have the equipment. We're going to go and post with it, both audio and visually. And this is what's the most valuable part. As you mentioned, we all get something out of it. And most importantly, the audience. Well, yeah, I'm fortunate to grow this, help my career and all in creating content this way, but it's just, I just love the talking part. Most of all, and even if no one listens or, or watches, good thing. I don't have to worry about that. Probably somebody's out uh, here watching and listening. It's, it's cool for me to just interact and grow and just understand the more interesting people. And then the valuable part, most of all, and the most important, thing for this show is the audience that they get something out of it it is nice and not to you know boost my ego it's nice to do this show but as the audience is always number one to me and it's always important that they get something out of it and they are taking the time to listen and i appreciate them listening and as long as they listen i hope that they get something out of it and that's what's productive about what we're doing here i thought your your walls your background yeah. Was it like that before the podcast or did you adjust it a bit for the podcast? Did you put that stuff up there or is your wall always kind of like that? Oh, man. No, this is because of the podcast. As if you can see, I give you a little turnaround. I have my own little studio to make oh, this shit. of everything in sports, movies, TV, art, writing, music. Only one politician, Obama, man, Obama. But um, where where is like where are you recording from? Is this your house? Is you somewhere? Yeah, this is just uh. Uh, here my a different room. I live here at home and uh, I live in my uh, just in my parents' basement slash room. It's this okay. nice little apartment style room here, and it's just uh, this is just to bring out to show the legitimacy of what we're doing here, and also just being around everything that inspires me. Every single thing that's up here, whether it's Anchorman poster, Will Ferrell, Secretariat. Uh, we over here, we have Cast of Atlanta, Jimmy Stewart, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Django, Big Lebowski, oh, Emma Stone, good. Breaking Bad, Pacino, Scorsese, De Niro. Whether I'm right here, Letterman, Eddie Murphy from Raw, Jordan, The Jordan, The Shot, Stern. Is that George is Orwell? Who is that? I'm, I'm taking a guess. Who is that on the bottom left? They look like an old-timey writer. This guy? The... Yeah, who is that? That's David Letterman. That's David. Oh, you know, it's yeah. blurry. He looks like from the because I'm on my phone now. As you get closer, it's like, it's the beard. Oh the yes, this is him. Pops, beard, pops like his chin, like it just looked like skin instead of a beard. Oh um, yes, that's I. Just, I just like being surrounded by the the men and women who inspire me, and um, it just helps me show and bring some comfortability with the audience too, and the guests to show that. This is what we're all about, being surrounded by the people we are inspired to create this great content and art. The reason I ask is because part of the reason I haven't gotten, like I have the equipment for mine, but I don't, I don't like my room is just a plain room. And I really want, like, I think presentation is important. As we were talking about when you want to track yeah. physical importance. So now 
because of that, I like, and I'm definitely not stalling it, but I, I'm still figuring out what I like. I'm trying to, I'm, I can be a perfectionist sometimes and I have no idea what I want my background to look like, but I'm looking at that and it's just like, it's like you have a bunch of movies and actors and all these people that you, so I'm looking at it and I'm appreciating it because like, you know how earlier I was like, I might play with the little virtual background. I hate this. I don't want it just to be the, like, this isn't isn't how I want to do my podcast. That's how I want to do my podcast. Hey, you can, you, this is, you know what the crazy thing with the exception of the, there's a few legitimate posters um, we have the Anchorman one. There's a ma- map of the of Manhattan. This one, the Anchorman one. This is all just stuff I printed from Staples. To be honest with you, this is all it. It just regular tape. So I Damn. think this this whole spread cost. You know, really, it's probably like thirty dollars to get all these little pictures, but it's totally worth it. And I feel so good in it, and it gives me hope. And and uh, it's just fun. It just makes me also stick out for for me in the productive conversations brand. I'll say this right now: you may. I'm, I wrote down a note. I have a I have a list of the things I'm getting and I need to take care of. And I just wrote, so print out at Staples because you said that I'm like that's so simple and it's so <laughs> fucking genius. I don't need to get these posters and put it out. I just have yeah. to really take this shit going, like, dude. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. It's, you know, it's just, I got so many of them. It's just, I think it's off the top of my head. It's if, you know, 15 cents for black and white and 50 cents a page for color. It is just cause I have so many. That's why it just adds up, but it's totally worth it. And then I have these, this is the old Blu-ray cover of <laughs> Django Blu-ray cover, big Lebowski Blu-ray cover. That's what I took some of these as well. Cause you know, I really I thought I was going to be Blu-ray DVDs for life, but nope. the streaming services to make it so much easier. And if I want to watch behind the scenes stuff, I could just YouTube it. They all promoted it on the streaming services, too. So it's like I don't need these these sleeves anymore. So I just put them on the wall. What are uh, you probably mentioned them because they're on the wall. I don't know if you have any that are on the wall that you didn't mention, but I love movies and stuff. So I'm just going to ask, like when people ask, like, oh, what's your favorite movie? What are your favorite movies? What are the, the movies that come to mind when people ask you those questions? That's a great question, man. Can I I have uh I have an answer for you there. So my favorite movies off the top of my head. Uh I would have to say The Departed. I love The Departed. Very special. That's my probably truly absolute favorite movie. Scorsese The Departed. Crazy, I would have man. Oh, yes, man. It, it gets me every time. I always think spoilers ahead. I always think I, I always think Leo's going to get Matt Damon to jail and fucking that twist, that guy who it's who I can't think of the guy's name who kills him. But you see him in the very beginning, a little foreshadowing with Nicholson it was, as Frank Costello. And we know what happened. But still, can I say one thing? What do you think about the rat with? Do you think it was too corny? It was too cliche in the very last frame. Say that again, the what? You know, in the the rat runs around after Mark Wahlberg's character kills Matt Damon. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. I it's been a, I know definitely don't remember the last. Like I re- I definitely remember the the general plot. I definitely remember the final scene. Well, we're not spoiling. You already said spoiler. I definitely yeah. remember that everyone killing each other in the end. But I don't remember the rat the rat thing. It's not that fresh in my mind. <laughs> I remember the Matt Damon and um, <laughs> what am I a fucker son? Mm-hmm. 
Mm, I is failed that a, to, I failed attempt at a Boston accent, but sometimes it isn't there. But. I can't. I can't do it either. So I can't. The closest I can get is to saying shit like uh, when people are like cough. I can't even do it. I was gonna say cough. 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 Like the coffee. like the thing with the bo- Massachusetts. And again, I'm sorry. I'm not an expert at this, so if I mess this up, sorry. But like I fail that. It's more uh, at the lower part of your. Oh. Like lower. the lower part of your sternum and the tall. How are you, Boston? Right. I like Fenway Park. That's Dump, where you get that Massachusetts. Can I get a Can I get a quarter for some water for my daughter? It's, it's, can I get a quarter for the water for the daughter? And then New York is more you pushing the tongue on the you put the tongue on the teeth, and that's where you go with the New York accent. How you doing? Let's go, Yankee. You got the like Italian mobsterish New York in there. Right? You got the yo man. Why don't you shut the fuck up about it? Well, you should. I got an offer you can't refuse. That's the best thing. I got an offer you can't refuse. So, yeah, the way I get the New York and Boston, the New York is just make sure you hit the top of your tongue with your teeth. That's how you do them. And then Boston's just, ah, ah, let that tongue out. Motherfucker. This move, motherfucker. I definitely think, I think that the... (laughs) I think do, do, do the New York one again. I like the New York one. That one feels easier to me. Yeah, you just have the top of your tongue on your teeth. The top of your tongue. All right, I think it's, am I kind of doing it? Is this kind of that, that's a really good one? That's a good one. Yeah, you, know, you want to get some monogot? You want to get some monogot and um, prosciutto? Hey, you trying to you trying to fuck some bitches tonight, Matt? <laughs> trying to go out to the strip club? You know, you got I got my gumar at home. So what do I need to do? The fuck I gotta do? I guess I mean we can bring it back to my place, but I live I live with my mom too, so she might not be too cool with it. <laughs> oh man, good times. But yeah, just you know, back to the movies. Also, just Pulp Fiction, uh, oh, on the waterfront. I like Toy Story, the original. I really like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a lot. I have to go. I just go, go crazy, man. I watch movies. Top, top three, top three Tarantino. My top three Tarantino. Yeah. Oh, okay, so you have picked two, three Tarantino movies, and all the rest are being wiped from existence, and you can never see them. So you have three that you get to keep. All the Tarantino movies, you can never. You got to. You got to keep Pulp Fiction. That changed the game. Um, just bringing that type of you know, ferocity filmmaking into a mainstream level. Yeah, that's it. Man, out of his nine, Pulp Fiction has to stay. You know, what's great about Tarantino movies is they're all so different. The only similar one is Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, but they're still completely different movies, too. Um, God, this is really difficult. I would have to say, can Kill Bill 1 and 2 count as the same? Or it has to be well, one of you know, I, mean, I think I, that's a hard one, so I'm going to say, yeah, it counts the same because like it is difficult to take one. And, like, yeah, because I technically there were two. There was one movie... And that scumbag Weinstein said you should split it up, but that was a really important cultural movie, especially for martial arts films, and great for the women leads in it. Uh, the action in it was just like I remember. Yeah, I don't know if I'd ever seen. And I remember seeing that. In the, I saw that as a, like as a kid. Like, when did that? Hold on, I want to see that. I, I think oh four. Pretty, you said four. How old are you? Oh four. I'm twenty six. I, I I just turned twenty six yesterday. Um, Wait, really? Yeah, yesterday was oh, my happy birthday. happy birthday, man. Look at that. On Valentine's, no, two days before Valentine's. Yeah, after. Yeah. Well, happy birthday, Tom. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Get anything cool? Uh, 
some some money. I I didn't like you know I got to, like some like some people threw some cash at me, but other than that, mm-hmm. I didn't really ask it. Threw some cash it was at a you. Chill day, like I was like I'm gonna chill. I made a music video with my brother yesterday. I edited. All right. like, it was a creative day for me. Like I sat, I chilled out. Great. And I smoked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no I complaining was there. Huh? Yeah, no, definitely no complaining. That <laughs> was seven, and it was the scene where the uh, where where the bride is fighting all the people in the end of the first one, just cutting the people up and the yeah, and the blood's going everywhere. And I remember the first time where when she cuts Lucy Liu's head, and just that that seeing that in film, I'd never never seen anything like it. Oh before. yeah, intense. Just the filmmaking styles, the different colors insane decisions in the cinematography it's it's poetic really one thing thing that stands out to me is the the flashback where it's lucy Liu's character's background and it switches to anime style for a bit yeah that was cool that was important for it never like i'd only really seen dragon ball z at that point but i just remember (laughs) like the art style for that was so like i thought there was a what i thought was that it was a live action i was so young i thought i didn't know who quentin tarantino was so what I thought is I was watching a live action adaptation of an animated nice. series. So they had kept one of the scenes from the series in it, but that's wow. not what they want to hear my Tarantino impression. Now this is uh, my friend did this one. He does it better than me, but it's like, you ever see that movie? Why do you, why do you have your movie so violent? Well, because Jan, it's my movie. Uh, I could do what I want. It's fun, Jan. You definitely got the, the gesture. Like I see that's, I think that's part of the key. So you were talking about with impressions, the voice, but I can see how much the oh. gestures are helping you with like the mouth. Always like, moving around the hits. It's my movie, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> He's a character himself as well. Oh my God. Like, One of my favorite when he doesn't go, he, he, when I can catch him on radio interviews, like the old ones, when he would go on Stern a lot, he's been on Stern a lot. Just such a fascinating fellow. That's why the best filmmakers are so fascinating people, man. But what about you, though? What Who are your movies that you like? Then you would. I said, who are your movies? What are your movies that you like? What are some well, of your I'm favorites? Put Quentin Tarantino's up oh, there. Oh, by the way, sorry. Things. I don't mean to interrupt. But the yes. third one, Pulp yes, Fiction. Please, Pulp Fiction. Kill Bill has to stay. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just wow, you would put that above Django and Chain. Do you think Once Upon a Time is better than Django? <laughs> and with my film degree, I would have to say that uh, I think in the most cinematic value that Django is a better movie. But I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood okay. more. So what I was going to do is if you had said, yes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is better, I was going to walk out and just be like the podcast. <laughs> well, because you said it's a personal thing, I was like, okay. All right. Yeah. I'll say this. I didn't hate Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I enjoyed it my first watch, but I'd put it like lower of my Quentin Tarantino. Movies. I understand. Yeah. I, I do I understand that. I had an amazing moment. It's Quentin Tarantino. Absolutely. But, That's why we worship him. <laughs> Uh, film-wise, inspiration-wise, I'll say this: I'm biased towards superhero movies. Like I love like, Marvel, DC. Like, what do you think oh. of the Justice League trailer? <sighs> the Snyder <laughs> Cut, man! Imagine that just becomes a big flop, and it's just that just proves DC is cursed. <laughs> yeah, Justice League was one of the most disappointing superhero movies I've ever seen in mind. So, like, it's like, like I, I think I preferred 
not the films, but like the comics in general, like the characters. I think I prefer DC over Marvel. But Marvel's movies are way better without it. Yeah, that's that's what they. I feel the usual consensus. I mean, like the Frank Miller Batman's are just so almost operatic the way it is, and you know the stills and stuff. It's it's insane. These DC movies, the I mean, Chris. I would say aside from superhero movies, Christopher Nolan's Batman movies are fucking amazing. Batman yeah. Begins and The Dark Knight are two of my favorite movies of all time. The Dark uh, Knight, man. Dark Knight. Uh, I, 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 some people prefer Dark Knight totally over Batman Begins, but to me, Batman Begins is as good as a film as The Dark Knight. I think they are both. It has grown movies. grown better as as the years have gone by. It's had a better reception. As I saw it as a kid in two thousand four. Um, and I remember being disappointed because I was used to the comic booky cartoon Batman, and it was very grounded. Not a lot of those were. That was a good show, the animated series. Yeah. So when I saw when I saw it, I was like, "This isn't the fucking cartoon." But as I grew up as an adult, <laughs> I realized it's a fucking masterpiece. It's yes. supposed to be if Batman is real. This is what would happen. And it was, and it's perfect at that. Uh, no Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies. I even oh, like yeah. the third one. I love. I love the whole trilogy. Uh, <laughs> Damn man, that it, Tobey Maguire is going emo. Peter Parker, that was just, oh my god! And why, Topher Grace? I like Topher Grace, but at, if you look at who Eddie Brock is supposed to be in the comics, he's the complete opposite. That's just the literally one of the worst casting decisions for the source material. You, you got the squirty, you got a, a scrawny guy, dude. Like Brock Lesnar, if if he could act, that'd be a perfect person to uh, put in that role. I, so I. I don't. Okay, so I'll say this: When I was a fucking kid, and I first saw Spider-Man three, I hated Topher. Like I love him in that seventy show, but I hated the fact that he was Eddie Brock. I was like, yep. everything he just said, I was like, it's horrible casting. I wanted. This was um. I'm not sure the Rock had like did the Rock start acting. I don't remember, but I remember like yeah, he was he kid. was known as an actor still back then. I remember like my like I don't think he'd be the best for Venom, but I remember as a kid just thinking like he should play Venom because he was the buffest dude I knew. Yeah. Um, I think the reason for the choice doesn't excuse that it was a bad choice, but they wanted to create um, like a dark mirror to 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 Peter Parker. So you know how like in the Marvel movies, like usually like in the first film, like the first Iron Man, it's like Iron Man's a evil robot, so he's gonna find an evil robot. And the first yeah, it's the origin story like, all the time. Yeah, so they tried to um, they tried to make like a dark version of Peter Parker. So they were like, since Spider Man, since Peter Parker is skinny and Spider Man is skinny, they were like, we're going to cast. Someone who looks like Topher. That was the mindset. wasn't a good idea, but they were trying to create a dark version, like a. But I Darker still think Peter Parker. I think what they could have done is they could have like kept Topher Grace, but Venom could have been bulky. You know, like I don't, I didn't care that he was skinny, but I, I wanted right. the fucking dude to be John. Uh, like the symbiote. Super symbiote. Spider Man. You know, I'm gonna move aside from superhero movies because if I do, that's like I'm just gonna talk about that forever. But films in general... That's exactly what Disney wants. It's exactly what Disney wants. But I, was, <laughs> I was about superheroes before. Like I, I hate that Disney has Marvel because I grew up on superheroes. I grew up... I remember the first time I saw um, Batman Forever and I think um, the Richard Donner and Superman 2 were my first superhero movies. Mm -hmm. And it changed my life. So the fact that I now I have to... like I hate when the new episode of WandaVision comes out and I like, I don't like that I have a Disney Plus. Like, I, I don't... I don't want <laughs> of my money but i'm like as long as you have marvel you're getting my money i guess um non-superhero films goodwill hunting for sure um have it's you ever seen whiplash? 
Of course, what flash man talk Black about Black. dedication. God, that's a- one of the most underrated scenes you forget about is when he gets in the car accident. You know, spoilers gets in the car accident. That's a great use of filmmaking. The with with Damien Chazelle, slow motion, the um, sound mixing just going popping out, the very uncomfortable, uh, purposely unfocused framework. It's 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 insane. I think that's a very underrated filmmaking part about that amazing movie. And and J. Jonah Jameson, J. Jonah Jameson. I called him my yeah. fucking J. Jonah. He looks like his name would be that. <laughs> J.K. Simmons, man. Got that Oscar. Earned it. He he definitely, yeah, he killed it. Uh, Judd Apatow movies are great. Um, oh, you yeah. know, like, yeah, four-year-old version. Those Rocky, the Rocky films, dude. Which Rockies? All six? All seven? But, well, I guess, well, um, seven, six love- Rockies, two Creed's. Yeah, I love them all. I mean, obviously, some are better than others. The, the first, the first two Rockies, fantastic. Um, the third one's cool because there's the whole Apollo Creed dying and everything. <laughs> you mean the fourth um, one? The the fourth, which is the fourth one again? Oh, the fourth. It wasn't the third one. Okay, the third the one's one. Clubber Lang. What's your pro, what's what's your prediction for this fight? Pain. Oh, that's the one where Creed trains him, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, fight that's, Mr. T. Clubber Lang. Yo, Adrian, I did it. Adrian, I love that. Rocky, movie. Rocky one, Rocky two, Rocky three, and Rocky four. I didn't hate Rocky five. I didn't hate it. <laughs> I, the first time, so the first time I saw them, I I sat through and marathoned one through six in a sitting. So it was a really Rocky Bell cool. Bow is not that bad. Oh, it was it was awesome. I wait. Think- you know, it's a very this is a it's always it's always known as a good movie. But like it is a really great movie. Like cinematically, academically, is the first Rambo, first Blood. I've never, I've never seen Rambo. You oh, recommend man. it, dude? You have to fit. You have to sit your time. It's a short movie too. It's only an hour and a half. Do if you, you have Showtime, do you recommend the, the whole franchise or they just make just first, first Blood? Like the the franchise, the sequels just become a parody of themselves. But the first one is, it's about mistreatment of Vietnam vets. It's about. Um, us and you know falling in nature survival of the fittest it's incredible with some legit good acting by stallone and then it eventually just became like an action series like it was like exactly like, it just became oh, no, no, no. a parody of itself with the action it just went on the action wave but like, like fast and the furious i've never i haven't seen past the first one but kind of how that series just <laughs> went from like 10 million movies to catch up like, on yeah that's I'm going to sit down and watch all the Fast and the Furiouses one day. I will, just because I want to know what the fuck is happening in those movies. R.I.P. Paul Walker, man. R.I.P. Paul Walker. Dude, I, you know what I love? The hilarious. You know what's cool about with the rise of content creation is the rise of uh, film analysis and people like generally have an appreciation and it's almost mainstream. It's cool to be a film geek right now. It is like, it's a, it's a genuine compliment. It's great on the dating apps. You could, it's cool to be obsessed with movies. Thank God for TikTok and content creation to make that just because yeah, you need to know those ways to make yourself better as a filmmaker. But, you know, I just always love the uh, classic fast and the furious uh, <laughs> gear switch. <laughs> the, those shots are hilarious to watch. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> I, I still, if I'm like, ah, there's something that I was doing, but that's something that I do. Like if I'm staying in the car and like, like I'm not even like in the driver's seat and I got a water bottle. Sometimes I'll like, I'm the kind of person who like play with the water bottle. <laughs> you know what I mean, like I'm, I'm a child like that. So I definitely, I hear that dude. It's those, you know, I think with the fast and furious movies, 
I'm particularly the first the first two. That's just is so early 2000s. The music, the the freaking Limb Biscuit Papa Roach soundtrack, the Hot Wheels looking cars that are all souped up the, the Civics and that the um, West Coast Chopper shirt that Paul Walker was where I was like, man, the Hummers in the background. Watching older movies is a is a crazy experience during COVID because it feels yeah. like like if we were gonna watch a movie from two thousand two in twenty nineteen, be like it was a movie from twenty nineteen. But it feels like so much has happened in the past year that when I see a movie from back in the day now or an old show, like it's really kind of jarring. Like I'm like, wow, like things are really different right now. And tell me about it, man. So I just think that's just, like I'll yeah, this is something I think about. I wanted to add on to one thing you're talking about was the. Uh, those things that are popular now. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that helps me with, with my confidence and trusting my gut. Cause as a kid, there's a lot of things that are popular now that you were uncool for when we were younger. And I, and I remember like, you know, I felt embarrassed as a kid being a superhero geek. There were just things that I, I yeah. That I, right. It's cool to like yeah. superheroes now. And I realized that all the things that I got made fun of as a kid or the things I was embarrassed about are all the things that are cool about me right now. So is there anyone else who's ever like, if you ever like something and it's not the cool thing or you, you just feel like you're not fitting in, like I promise you're ahead of the curve. Like yeah. I'm realizing right now, because there are things even right now, I can't think off the top of my head, but I realized like if when I was younger, there were things that I liked and I was embarrassed about. And it just, those are the things that like, there's like this pattern of like, I like something and then it's like, oh, that's not cool. And then I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'll avoid it. And then it becomes cool. So I learned as growing up, like to, to basically just stop giving a fuck what other people think. Cause like, obviously like our taste matters. Like there's a reason as a kid that we were watching these really awesome things. And now it's the thing that, that everyone like wants to do. Like what is like nerds are going to run the world. That's just how it is. Like, like we are, we're glowing up. We're getting there. I'm just, I'm just being uh what's the word though? Uh, I can't optimist? find what I'm trying to be not an optimist. I'm kind of being a little shit right now, too. <laughs> no, um, I think it is cool to be a nerd now. I mean, you see these Instagram models going for the Silicon Valley guys now instead of the abs and the rise of the dad bod. And, man, it's a good time. So it's just, yeah, it's really it's really nice to uh, have things that you like naturally. Because I, do you remember as a kid? Because I remember, you know, like sometimes like uh, I'm trying to think of an example. I'm trying to say. You know, I'm having a brain fart, so I'm going to completely let go of what I was talking about. But, um. Uh, Eight Mile. That's a good movie. I don't know if you fuck with Eight Mile. Obviously, oh, dude. That final scene, dude. That final scene is so is so badass. Is uh, B Rabbit versus Papa Doc? One of the best overcoming obstacle moments ever. It's just fucking badass. We all, most people could do, could rap that final his verse by heart from hearing it so much. It destroys Papa Doc and the Free World Crew. And it's just so sometimes self, like self-deprecation really is your best, almost your best bet. And as I get older, learning film analysis like that, it's like, wow, he just really roasted himself during that whole rap battle. But he just took his ammo away from him and powerful. That's a lesson that's like to this day, like if I'm ever doing comedy or if I'm ever in a situation, because um, it may not be like doing a roast, uh, a rap battle, but like uh, I've been to uh, like two roasts and I've been roasted before, like like you know, like a roast roast. Oh, that's that's something I always think about in situations like that. I always think about that final battle in Eight Mile. I'm always like, all right, 
Like, what is everything anyone can say about me and make sure that I get it out before that they can. So that's the lesson that fucking... If you Powerful seen movies miles, would you're that. watching this talk, watch 8 Mile. Dude, you know what was funny? Speaking of roasts, I saw the Wendy's account just roasting people the other day on Twitter. Is that, are they even gay? Because I'll see the screenshots of that, but I assume that they're photoshopped. Is Wendy's actually out here like... Yeah, shows? they do legit promotions, and then I think they have that comedy team that just goes in. Like, when they did the Raisins Company... <laughs> They said, who wants to get roasted? The raisin. Who was that famous raisins company? Uh, uh, is it the California or something? Yeah, California raisins. And they're like, roast us. And he's like, you guys ruin cookies. I was like, <laughs> I'm looking at the, uh, the, uh, the things right now. Yeah, but that's literally the Wendy's account that's just destroying people. This is a good one that popped up. I'm going to McDonald's. What should I get? And then Wendy's respond. Responded with a Mac refund, which is kind of sad. <laughs> they legit tweeted at, at McDonald's and said, roast us. Someone said, Wendy's, your food is trash. And Wendy said, no, your opinion is though. All right, I'm going to close this off. Or I'm just going to. There's definitely <laughs> a Wendy's rabbit hole to go down. At some you, point. Oh, yeah. Right before going to bed, just the Wendy's rabbit hole. They just go in. Can I um, ask? Um, yeah. Because I, I feel like there's a lot of questions. I feel like I can learn just by watching more of the podcast. But I was... Two, two things I was wondering. Um, I don't think I saw, I don't think I know how you started this podcast. I'm not sure if I've seen it someone where that came up, how you started this podcast. And just uh, kind of like, like, what do you do outside of the podcast? Because I know you do the podcast. And I know what some, I heard some of the, the stories where you were involved with um, mm-hmm. who you were talking to. You were talking to the artist. And I remember you were talking about like the frat. You were the, the, the president of the frat. Yes, at one point. Like, that's like, I know kind of a bit of your backstory and all that. But I'm just personally curious how you started the podcast. And like when you're not podcasting, like what does Matt Brown do? Like Tom doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I'm not employed at the moment. So uh, I lost my job in the pandemic and uh, we're TV productions working in four years in New York city. And then I uh, was planning just to get to my next gig as I interviewed for it. And uh, one of the big talk shows in New York uh, and the pandemic hit and ended that. So it was about like five months. So all I did was watch movies and write and try to figure stuff out. So what did you write? I just love writing short stories and treatments. And now my, if you want to check productive conversations.com, but sorry, productive conversations, podcast.com, you'll be able to see uh, my blogs. Like I like to write for fun. So short stories as well. Um, I, I, I just want to say, if you ever write anything and you want to like, like, if you ever write anything, because I feel like as writers, it's really hard to find people to read, want to read your work. And oh, your yeah. Work. It's super difficult. So if you ever want to, like, I'll just hit you up with my email after, because I, I think it's really important to, like, build that community with writers. So I'd love Let's to. Let's do it, man. Please, like, please do. Yeah. And I just posted on my blogs page, too, and short stories. So please, please do that. And I love writing scripts as well. So I would love to love to collab for sure and uh, grow a network here. But, yes, yeah, so it's about. August, September, I was really down in the dumps with a lot of things going on in life, trying to figure myself out. And uh, it was a, it was, I applied for a job at an old internship that I was clearly, clearly qualified for. And even though I was qualified, they still said no. And that day also, my dad was just pounding on me to find a new job, even if it's not a production one, but I, that's just the one I wanted you know, continue my career with that. No disrespect for anyone who, you know, you have to do what you have to do, but I just want to do what I'm passionate for 
paying a lot of student loans for. And I understand I might have to be a little more patient with that. And I understand um, the decisions going to being so focused on getting a broadcast, a podcast, a movie, TV job, but that's just what I want to do. And I'm going to die trying for it. So with, after getting a rejection, job rejection, 1,750. And uh, my dad just pounding on me. I was like, fuck this. First of all, fuck this company who thinks that I'm not qualified enough. Even though I've worked before, I am qualified enough. And you know what? My dad, though being a good dad, I just want him to stop nagging me. I love, I've been listening to podcasts my whole life. Well, I should say pretty much. I really got into radio in high school. Radio turned into radio and podcasts. So I just knew I was good talking. I used to be a Sirius XM intern. So I learned how to facilitate equipment, how to edit audio. And with all that, and I had some money I saved and a little help from a stimulus check. I wanted to, I just went to buy the equipment and I started working on productive conversations podcast and the name productive conversations is my way of being productive to show my dad, I'm doing something with myself, <laughs> but also, as I said, getting to know people, gaining the audience's uh, approval and trust will always be productive with what we do. So with that, I got the equipment, designed the logo, uh, and it took between it took like two weeks to get us all together, get my first guests, figure out the both the video aspect, too. So I bought cameras. For, I do have cameras for in-studio shows, as you've seen. We've only done a few and then some cases went up. But as weather gets warm again, hope to have people to come and see the studio. So with all that and still try to get my career on track, still waiting for that new job, I created the podcast. It's another way just to show these interviewers and hiring managers, hey, I was told, no, I can't do it. But yet, from everything I learned, and from that show I, I interviewed for, that specific late night talk show, they needed a lot, it involved a lot of digital marketing and um, promoting content. I'm going to use what I learned in my interview process for my own show, and now we're here. And so we're a uh, thousand plus downloads in four months. 14,000 YouTube views and we just keep going from there. So I created the podcast to get my career back on track, not be so down in the dumps anymore, doing nothing. And also just my way beyond the mics, beyond the video cameras is generally get to talk and network and have a establish some connection with someone. So that's what brings us here today. Well, I'm glad that that happened. I'm glad you got laid off. I'm glad the pandemic happened. <laughs> honestly, like, yeah, this probably, wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for COVID. That's that's yeah. for sure. And it's there's something really fulfilling about when you're, you know, there's always, like I said, there's a downside of being responsible for every aspect of your art. You know, there's, but the upside is the freedom. Like I, I'm on yeah. your website right now. So I, I'm going to ask you because I feel like, actually, no, yeah, I, I was going to ask you. After, Keep asking. But Encourage it. They want to know. I was going to ask, well, how, where did you build the website? It looks really nice. I, so... Yes, productive conversations podcast.com. So what so while I was interviewing for jobs, again, having a hard time getting I, I I'm really good at getting interviews, getting the final rounds, but I never was the final choice for whatever reason. So I thought at the time, I'm gonna write these blogs. And if the if they're still hung up on if 
these hiring managers and producers are hung up on the decision between me and a candidate, they can read these blogs specifically of me overcoming obstacles early in my career. You'll see like the mics on me tr- save when I was working at TRL as a PA and save the show. Um, whether it was uh, interviewing for a dream job and overcoming that I interviewed for the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon for an internship. Didn't get it. Learned to overcome that things are going to be okay. And then I did a more uh, CNN, which I think is even more valuable in a way. Cause I learned how to do program development and working and that got me that CNN internship. So I made the blog, this whole site just as another way that these hiring managers could read my blogs. And if they're on stuck on decision, okay, Matt is proven himself. He's pushing his way through. So I made the blogs and I had the site just to um, get uh, noticed by these hiring managers. So that was three years ago. Fast forward, even though I'm still trying to get my next opportunity, I'm paying for this site already. I can learn more about Squarespace and how the sites come together. And just looking at all various other podcasts and networks, whether you're a Barstool, a Nerdist, The Ringer, I'm just going to make the site myself. I'm already paying for a site and a domain name. So I just transferred mattbrownblogs.squarespace.com and the productive conversations podcast.com. And now it's here. Just watching a lot of YouTube videos, learning about certain coding things and embed players. And just another way to showcase all of my guests to say, hey, you're worth something. You have your own page with everything here. So that's why the website is created. And just another way, again, to these hiring managers who, for whatever reason, didn't think I was a qualified candidate to get the final job. Hey, I made my own website to prove this, to showcase this work. You can now, if I could do this myself, get all this trafficking, get the SEO stuff, which is, you know, like getting Google and and searching. I could do it for you guys. So that's another reason why I bought a domain and keep pushing the podcast forward. Hey, and I think you like you keep going. You might get to a point where you fucking you might get an offer and be like, I'm better off on my own. You know, I think, and I think that's like I would love to be at a point where I don't like I. The end goal is to be my own boss, right? At the end of the day, oh you yeah, know, for I sure. Think you're the same. You don't want to work for someone. And obviously, there's steps to get there. But I'm just putting it on the right. universe. I hope that you go straight from. I hope productive conversations is all you need. Like I hope you get to a point where you don't need someone to like. And I hope that if someone does see the clips, they're like, oh, we'll hire this dude. But I really think it's just be so like I hope that this is the shit that like like you don't even need it. I hope this this is what will take you where you need to go, which is all about consistency and you're doing that. So Yeah, then that, that was just the key to here. That's really I've that's really the only other aspect left with the broadcast now while continuing to grow and create a bigger audience, which is the most important um rule in this. It's just I do want to make money with it, you know, eventually be able to get enough um show enough weekly listeners to sell ads uh, and we're, we're working slowly on local businesses that friend zone that I could show while I've already practiced in my ad runs with, uh, you know, promoting the merchandise here and then on the show itself. I, I want to keep growing the show and eventually make some money on it. I do think this is a great brand. I think it's marketable. And though we're still extremely young and we still have a lot of a lot of a long ways to go and a lot of work to none. I think at the end of the day, this could get brought into a podcasting network or maybe even we create like the productive podcasting network and create 
um, a more of a brand like that. And if you want a show or someone else wants it, that's just another way to keep growing what we have here. And like I said, not even six months in, we keep growing the show and still have a lot of work to do, but the future is bright and focus on that end goal. I want to ask, what was the, the interview process like for the Fallon internship? Like, what was that? What was that like? Yeah. So, um, basically long story short, summer 16, I, uh, basically I applied, uh, my whole college career was to someday. I love Jimmy Fallon. I was obsessed. Uh, I was obsessed with the show, the tonight show's legacy and history and having a talk show. So I set up my college career to qualify for an internship, but knowing that like, wow, it's, you have to shoot for the stars to get a tonight show internship. So I just, obviously got into TV, the student TV, getting a film production degree. I became a tour guide on campus because I know you have to give tours at 30 rock. I um, just did all the research. Like I used, there was a time where I knew all the writers names and stuff, but I would just, then I would have to get like show that I can keep up in New York working in a fast paced environment. Uh, I had a, someone suggest me to Sirius XM's internship program and they took me. Then I went to Viacom to intern at Nick. So I was like, okay, wow, I got this far from a small school, University of Hartford. This is legit. I'll put it out there. I have the qualifications and if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So yeah, they, someone was fortunate enough to give me a chance. They liked it. Uh, the uh, HR manager there. So I first did a screener. Like I just was talking like Zoom, answering questions. Then a couple of weeks go by, don't hear from anything. But then I get a message for the Tonight Show. We'd like to interview you for the Tonight Show. So it was just like a Saturday in July. It was like a Wednesday in July during an off week. Go to 30 Rock. Like this is by moment. I can't believe that this is senior year. I am qualified to be in this position. I, I want to ask: Are you are you the kind of person like Are you excited? Like, do you let do you let the excitement overtake you? Do you let it guide you? Or are you the kind of person who's like, I don't want to get excited just in case? Like, where where do you kind of find yourself in that in that spectrum? You know, that's a good question. I've just been interviewing so much uh, in my life. <laughs> I've hit every major network you could think of. Like, not to pack them myself on the back, but just oh, fortunate enough to have a resume that six out to these networks and big names and brands. So the way I would answer that, that was internship. Well, now we're hitting five years interviewing for that. Probably at the, at that point I do get really excited. Like I'll watch, I remember one thing I watch often is that succeed as bad as you really want to breathe. And I really do believe that's real. And then I just listen to pump up music to feel good. Like I am the man in this, I can be in here. So in coming into that podcast, Walking in a 30 Rock, I was just banging music and feeling good and watching like inspiring. I like to watch Oscar winning speeches. Like if you win an Oscar in speech because they talk about how they get there. So watching a lot of that and I get into the narrow into 30 Rock. We get into a studio six, I think six B or the sixth floor. It's, you know, the 30 Rock it's built, it was built in the 20s. That's a hundred year old building. So I remember how narrow it was walking through. I'd see I saw Jimmy's office and um and they brought me in the writer's room and I had her fill out this questionnaire. And it was pretty much like prior experiences. What do you know? Stuff like that. And then I talked with the, who was ever the internship director at the time. And we talked for 40 minutes, man, 40 minutes. 
And I just gave everything possible about my personality, my past experience, and why I just want the job so bad. And I remember after the fact, finished my interview, where they put the tree at 30 Rock, I almost passed out because I gave everything, man, I, everything I could think of. And two weeks later, and then they said no. And that was really heartbreaking at the time because I thought, wow, if I work for my dreams and do that, it might just push you side of the curb. And um, But that was, I think I had to go through that because I knew that it was going to be okay. Like right away, I just, I knew I can't give up. I had to let my emotions out that whole day, but then I was like, okay, I'm still here alive. I can push through. There's more TV shows. I specifically would go to Conan O'Brien. Like that's the one guy, him and Larry David, like if I'm truly sad, I can watch those guys to make me feel good and happy. So I oh, just Conan. watched Conan. That's an influence of mine. Conan. Absolutely. Love his podcast a lot. And like, again, I'm not saying I was dicked over by the tonight show, whatever, for whatever reason I got beat out, but Conan literally did get dicked over by the tonight show. Oh. <laughs> so I just so I just watched him and how he overcame and reinvented himself with TBS and he's done his best work since. So that's how I felt. If Conan can overcome this and make his reinvent himself for the better, I can. So that rest of that summer, again, interviewing for internships, I this is going into my freshman year's first semester. Sorry, my sorry, excuse me, my fall semester, senior year. And like. I remember not getting an internship. I went, I moved on to campus, but I had a feeling, I had a real feeling. I was like, man, something's good about, something's going to change. I don't know what it was. And then I got a re, CNN reached out about an internship for program development, and, which is what I love. I love the development of, in that, in the process, in the, you know, phases of production development. It's my favorite and most interesting ones to develop an idea into a project. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I remember I was so I was moving into my on-campus apartment. I borrowed my roommate Benji's suit that was a size bigger than me. And I just talked to my hiring manager. I just gave him my all like the Tonight Show one. And that was like 11 p.m. Then I went to get lunch at like 1230 and they offered it to me. And then I uh, took the semester off at Hartford to go uh, work in New York again and be work at CNN fall 2016. And we know what happened in the world politically then. So it was cool to be in that environment. Um, that fast paced environment with such insane news. And, and how long was the internship you said? CNN? Uh, that was fall, fall 2016. So it was September to December, 2016. Gotcha. That's awesome. I've never, I've never lived outside of, um, I, so I, I was born in the Bronx. I lived in the Bronx till mm -hmm. I was seven. And then I moved to Holyoke, Massachusetts when, when I was seven. And I've been here from, since, but I've yet to, like when I went to college, I didn't dorm, you know, like I've yet to experience living outside and having that, like, um, were you, did you living with a roommate? Like, what was your, your living situation? Like when you were in New York? Well, when I lived with, I either, I either was couch hopping a lot. And when I, especially after college in New York, I would do that to get on set when I work at MTV, a lot of couch hopping in East village in like Washington Heights. So it was often. And, people you know? Oh yeah. These were like, these were people I knew and friends with, but living with college roommates, it was, uh, it was sweet. I knew I could do it. I knew I could keep up and it was a sweet time, man. And you just know to respect each other's, spaces and just be a respectful guy and things will work out amicably 
and hopefully you get a friendship out of it because no one wants to be roommates with people you hate, which I've had also before. And luckily he moved out. But that's the thing. Got to gotta love and enjoy each other in the place to where you live. True, true, 100%. You got to make that shit at home, family, or you're going to go crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I and, you know, I hear you. I'm trying, as I'm trying to get out and about too, but, you know, you got my support, and with your talent that I clearly see, it's going to be taking you places, Tom, and I can't wait to see what it does. <laughs> We're gonna, that's what, you're one of those people, like, I don't know if you've ever seen people, and it's just like, like, there's no, like, I know for myself, like, there's no other option other than what I want to do. Like, it's, yeah. it's not like, oh, what if you fail? What if it's like, no, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of, of, of when yeah. and how, right? And uh, not being afraid to get rejected like that. I, there's people I see and I think if I say like, oh, I'm going to meet this person on the other side. And what I mean by that is it's like, I see people who I'm like, how do I put it? Like, you know, when you, when you hear a celebrity on an interview and, and they mentioned how like they knew another celebrity before they became famous or like they were roommates or they worked together. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, wow, you're one of those people who I like see, like, I don't know if you ever meet people and you're like, I'll see you on the other side. Do you know what I mean by that? Like you ever have someone in your podcast? Oh, yes. Like, That's a really good feeling where you're like, oh, I can't wait to like, just be like trying to think of some kind of like event or project, but I just can't wait to be on the other side of where I want to be, like to achieve that work that you have to maintain, like to be there, but to see all the other people who like worked, who you were like, oh, we were here. And now we're like, I'm just so excited for that. Then I'm going to enjoy it. Like cause gratitude is so important. And like, I like love to see other people win. And I'm just, ah, oh, man, it feels me. And that's another reason I fuck with you. Cause when I see you talk with people, I see you get excited about those things. I see you get excited for the people. You're very, I don't know if I'm wrong in this, but you come across as an empathetic person. You come across as someone who's empathetic, but you also want to fill with positivity. You know, like if someone's saying something shitty, you're going to like empathize. Like, you know, if someone's saying positive, you're going to empathize, but you're always going to put that like, I don't know, man. That's just one of the reasons that mm-hmm. I was really excited to do this this podcast as well. It's, it's, yeah, man. And I hope... And I hope you want to keep doing it again because, man, I'd love you to come on many times as a recurring guest. It'd be awesome, man. Would you Would you want to come more? Of course. Again? Man, like, fucking ask. Just ask me whenever. If I, oh, worst case, I'm busy that day and I'll be like, next day. I'd, I'd love to. Please. Looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to it. And, yeah, I guess I just be being me. I think I'm fortunate enough to have a genuine interest in so many other people in life. And whether it's because – you know, I come from a mixed race background, so I'm my whole life I've seen other sides of things. What is what is your ethnicity? What is your what do you identify as? So my dad is is uh my dad's African American and Mexican, and my mom is Peruvian and Italian and Italian. So it's I've seen my whole life living in various skin tones, and now it's cool because more mixed race people are coming. Everybody's fucking each other, and uh, <laughs> so it's cool that you know. It was a very niche, niche type of small group. And, you know, you look up to people like Derek Jeter, biracial person, Obama and other guys like that, guys and girls. And they and um, it's just cool. And I think just under seeing those other backgrounds, they, it was so natural to me. I just, just I honestly just assume all people um, was like me. I knew obviously maybe more than others, but I just assumed that. Like, that's just how life is for certain people. I didn't know it was just so tab, not taboo, but I just know that it was more unique. But now, as again, more people are open, we embrace diversity. You now see more 
mixed race people and seeing those other sides and stories. And you just learn, wow, we don't have to make this so complicated and awkward. And from that and seeing that it's easy for me to talk with any type of person because I just, you know, I have my ethnicities, but I have other ones that are interesting and wanted to just hear from that. So I, I'm fortunate to have that genuine um, curiosity and that'll never die. And the way I just talk like this is just how I talk with everybody now. And uh, it, it's really cool. And I also think that just hanging out and being cool and, and just not being afraid either. I just think I've been fortunate enough to not be afraid to go ask there and have those questions and having that empathy because I think everybody deserves it as long as you don't screw me over. But if you screw me over, I will not forget it. And, you know, um, there's a time and place to, you know, be happy, go lucky. There's also a time that you have to just be real and more patient and mature, but there's here for everyone. And I just want to show with my show that you can have these convos and bring all these people together. Like I've had a drag, I've had two drag Queens on, I've had a born again, Christian, both sides definitely don't understand. Uh, it, it's like, of course, some understand more than those, but usually, or historically the, you know, someone with a, Christian conservative background may not understand or someone who does drag and the empowerment they give. But with, but me with the show talking together, they're just different people finding their purpose. Well, there was Matt as the born again, Christian who found his purpose in life to serve the Lord. He found what he's meant to do and that's in, in fulfills his life and spread the message, even though, you know, it's not for everyone per se, but He's still just a guy trying to find his purpose, and whether it was Miss Jada Lee or Miss Lily Garcia, finding their purpose of creating characters, creating entertainment, and just telling a story and in and spreading spreading love and awareness. And even if they come from two different, completely different worlds, you don't have to have beef and you don't have to preconceived judge. They're just people trying to find their place, and that's what I just hope to do with the more guests that come by and understanding where they come from. Are you, are you a, are you a spiritual person? What is your, what is your, yeah. How do you feel when it comes to beyond the material? Like, right. What are your thoughts when it comes to those things? Yeah. I I consider myself a spirit. I grew up Catholic, so I don't really identify with my Catholic views as I once did at one point. So now I am. So I'm not really, I'm not a Catholic anymore. I'm more of a spiritual person. I believe in God. I'm someone who prays and, you know, that's just my, my way of life. I pray every night I push through and that's my way of like dealing with the insane world and having faith. And I understand that's not for everyone too. And people have different gods. People have um, different beliefs and I support them and I encourage them and I'll pray with them if um, I'm welcomed. And that's my way. I understand people who don't believe in God. I understand people who um, are agnostic too, but I just feel for the people that you're all just trying to find your person. And some people who aren't religious just want to be a good person. And that is still amazing too. So I think any way, whether spiritually with faith or wherever, as long as you're trying to be the better person, you got my support for it. What about you? Uh, I, I was baptized when I was younger. So I was baptized Catholic, but I was never a religious person. Yeah. I would like, I would take me to church. There's, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm 
when it comes to the Bible, I'm, I'm pretty versed in, in a bunch of things, but my, I don't even like, I don't, I don't necessarily like using the word God because I feel like people have the connotation with the Christian God and all those things. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm the same way where it's like, I, I like, I prefer the word spirituality. I also don't like this, yeah. the kind because I feel like there's this like stereotypical person who's like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. But that's exactly what it is for me. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. It's the yeah. same thing. I pray, I affirm, I try to manifest. For me, like when it comes to God and the universe and the spirit of love, like, these things are all synonymous to me. Like it's all the same thing. There's truth in all religions, there's truth in all things. Definitely. That's, that's my belief. So definitely, I think there's more to this world than meets the eye. And I definitely try to communicate and build a relationship in that spiritual realm as best as I can. Because I think that's just as important as all the material shit in this world. I believe it, man. I believe it, man. Yo, Tom, we've been really putting in some great work. I've hoped. Yeah. How long is it? I literally, like, how long is it? <laughs> We're about two and a half hours, man. So this is a nice, meaty hell of a show i love it man thank you for staying on and i can't wait to keep collaborating i really can't man it's it's gonna be cool so having said that i like to do my last segment the Prost questionnaire with you where we just ask 10 really cool. <laughs> oh thank you man now it's your turn to ask these questions so inside the actor studio 10 universal questions you all could connect with now it's your turn tom are you ready to do the press questionnaire oh i'm ready I'm ready. Let's make it work, bro. So my first question is, what is your favorite word? Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. That's a popular one. That's hilarious. It used to be, it used to be as a kid, I used to really like the word indubitably because I just like Hey, that's a a repeat. Bubbly. Oh, someone said indubitably? Yeah, indubitably. But Rob Douglas said that. Look at that. That's a really fun word. But now as an adult, it's very simple. I like the word fuck it's very very malleable <laughs> i love it man i love it dude my second question is what's your least favorite word uh, do i have a least favorite you asked this question and i thought about it i know if moist is usually the most common right i feel like people hate the word moist i don't I think it, it, it's been brought up like two or three times here but yeah usually all right if i if i had to pick an answer right if it's gone to my head so i was like what's your least favorite word um all right. So this is my least favorite word. My name is my name is Tom, which is short for Tomas. Uh and it's written T O M A with an accent and then an S. Yeah, like Tomas Nito, if you like baseball, back of catcher for the Mets. I don't know anything about sports, but that you said it perfectly. <laughs> Some people will say I just and this isn't anyone's fault, but when someone tries to say my name, like I prefer Tom and Tommy because I grow up and my family just called me Tom and Tommy. I don't really get called Thomas or Tomas unless someone's mad at me or like you don't know me, in which case, yeah. please call me Tom. But I hate when people say to- Tomas. When people say, if, they can't, if you can't say Tomas, <laughs> just call me Tom. Tomas. So I'll put my least favorite word is actually when people can't say my name right. That's, that that's a great that's a great answer for that man yeah i get like matt and matthew though i some i low-key like getting called matthew but usually it's just my parents or like sometimes i've been in relationships where the my uh girl at the time would call me matthew as her special thing so uh i low-key like it so it's cool though i yeah, remember my, when um, my my when people were like tommy that's the intimate like oh tommy like if you call me tom you know me but if you call me tommy you know me, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I go to Planet Fitness and my the GM there called me Matthew. He asked me, hey, Matthew. First of all, I didn't know. 
I, I, I've been to that gym for three years. I never heard the guy speak, <laughs> but uh, he's a quiet guy. He runs the gym really well. I, I don't even know his name, but um, he he was just like, Matthew. I was like, oh, shit, did I do something? Did I hit the weights too hard? I've been complained about that. But he's like, hey, could you just uh, update your payment info? I was like, yeah, bro. And there's this there. My, there's so many characters at my gym, man. There's this one guy, this dude, Dave. He's sick. I'll say his name. because He's just like that, bro. Like, he's definitely was probably a bro in his day. This like New York guy. It was deep, like Long Island accent. He drives a Bentley to my gym. I'm like, yo, he's such a clown, man. He's so, but in a good way, he's a funny dude. I really want to get on the podcast because I remember I said to him, I saw him yesterday in Valentine's Day. Like, hey, how was your Valentine's Day? He was like, oh, it was all right. I had to have my girlfriend stay away because, you know, I had to hang out with the wife for the day. I was like, <laughs> he's funny, man. That's, that's funny. <laughs> but man, I mean, he drives a Bentley to the this normal gym in uh, Norwalk, That's Connecticut. Kind of lit. <laughs> yeah, if man. It's the truth. I, I, if I had a nice car, I'd probably drive it to places that I should, and I'd regret it. But I, I'd be that kind of guy, probably. Oh my god! You want to know something? So my mom, you want to hear for, about driving car places? Like, there's this girl once from I'm uh, you know, hung out. We had a nice night at the bar once on the match. Hung out. So she asked me to come over. She said, come over. She hit me with the come over. What are you doing, Tex? You want to come over to cuddle? That's what she said. And my car, I didn't have a car at the time, but my mom's car, she had a BMW, like like this soup. She doesn't now. She traded in for a nice, uh, the BMW minivan, but she loves that car. But I thought like, so I live in North Connecticut. You ever heard of Bridgeport, Connecticut? I know of it, yeah. So it has a reputation of pretty gritty, not so nice place. And I was like, do I take my mom's BMW to <laughs> hang out with this girl on like a Saturday night at midnight in an, I don't know what neighborhood she could have picked that. She could be in the nice neighborhood of Ridgeport, which they have there. But I was like, is it worth the risk? And I, I, I chickened out. I won't lie, but only because the car, but we could have, you know, could have had a, a nice night of hanging out and and watching movies and and uh playing cards or whatever at one o'clock you're good. You're good. i would have i would have <laughs> i would have taken the risk that's how i <laughs> i would have been like right, well whatever happens i would be like let's just stay in the car <laughs> but i um i part of part of what pushed me to get my license i i got my permit at 18 but then i, I didn't get my license until i was 21 but it was a girl that pushed me and I was like, fuck, I have my permit, but I don't have my license. So I That's can't a story. What so what I would do is, like, just my grandparents weren't, but like, I would just, like, take the key and I would take the car and I would drive without a license. And I would do it. I would go for <laughs> it's a 15, 20 minute drive. And it was always the scariest thing because I, I didn't have my license and I was still learning how to drive. Um, so I'm like, fuck it, huh? Some fucked. It's Springfield, some of not the best neighborhoods. I'm fucked. But that's driving on, like, I, People taught me before, but like really having the car on my own and having motivation to drive, which was my ex. Um, it's just uh, where am I going with this? Basically, yeah, I I take the risk. I've done it before. And I would totally fucking do it like, even without my license. I'm like, I don't get pulled over, but see it. Like you get you've seen those memes when she says my parents are gone, and then it's like some guy running for his life. Um, <laughs> man. 
Number three, though, back to the past question here is what, and this is not a sexual question, it's more of a life question, but what turns you on? Turns me on. Uh, this, this, um, so the first thing that comes to mind is definitely, okay, so you mean, you say not sexual, but you don't necessarily mean romantic either, right? You mean in general, like what? No, more just life. Like some people say, yeah, like yeah. the sound of laughter turns them on, or yeah. The, yeah. I mean, if I got to go there, yeah, I definitely say, like, Oh, okay. I'm going to say two things. I want to say laughter for sure. Cause I love making people laugh, man. Like I love, like, you mm-hmm. know, I'm a fucking comedian. It's, it's, it's gotta be laughter. I but I also just like people who, who can, who can listen. Cause I can, I can sit and listen to someone talk for a really long time, but I can also talk for a long time. But when I'm sitting with someone and, and you feel like you're actually like, you know, this, com- this, this productive conversation turns me on. Like it's just when you're having a conversation with someone and they're in it, you know, like if you're, if you're like, sometimes you're just talking to someone and you know, there's somewhere else, but if you're in this space with me and you're taking the time to be patient and understand me, even if we don't agree on everything that turns me on in a, in a great sense, that laughter. Incredible, man. Absolutely incredible. I love that answer. What turns you off in this world? Turns me off in this world. Oof, man. Um, uh, it turns me off. I'm, I'm, I really try to find the silver lining in a lot of things. I'm thinking like immediately less. Um, what turns me off? Not sexual. It was sexual. I, I mean, if that is your answer, one person did straight up. I once said, "What?" I asked this dude. <laughs> I did ask, "What turns you off?" And the guy says, "Sex." <laughs> okay. What turns you off? Lack of sex. No. Um, <laughs> what turns me off would probably be uh, basic. But the first thing that comes to mind is you know people being a dick doesn't actually turn me off. Sometimes it's funny. I think what turns me off is people who I'm waiting for something. Like I'm waiting for something to come with me. I'll say this. I can't. I would have to really sit and think about something that really turns me off every time with no exception. So I think that says something. I'm really good at finding the silver lining. So I think someone who just doesn't want to be around me. If you don't want to fuck with me, I don't fuck with you. Like uh, what turns me off is people who have negative. And this is, this is, I've been here before and I can't be there and something I deal with. But when you have this negativity or you have something you want to say and you, and you don't, like if we're talking and you don't want to be talking to me or there's something like that's a turn because it's just like then I'm getting these mixed signals and then I'm left thinking like like your 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 body language says this but your words say this um and sometimes it's the person means what they say even if it doesn't look like that so I say I'm turned off if I'm um in any relationship dynamic sexually non-sexually you know platonically like if I'm talking to you and I feel like you don't want to be here if you don't want anything to do with me, like I would, I would much rather someone say, I can take negative things. I just can't take the thought of, are they? So that's a turn off. If you got shit to say and you're not saying it. Yeah, I'm definitely do the, it's all about that effort, right? All about that effort. Um, number five is what sound or noise do you love? What sound or noise? Or farts. <laughs> do you love the sound farts of farts? Well. Yeah, um, do you have a funny fart story? You said, do I have or do you have one? Yeah, do you have a funny fart story? My favorite, I remember uh-huh. someone farted during a chemistry final and then you just hear me, hey, sorry. 
I'm just, I'm just <laughs> lost. Dude. One, one is in sixth grade in math class. There's Uh-oh. a kid. That's bad. In middle school. He was already teen. Like, he was already believed. I just remember he, I never, to this day, it's the one time that I've heard someone sneeze and fart at the same time. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. I have a story like that. <laughs> it was like, I too good. And it was like, he, he's like, I too and then the time was the fart. And then he sat down. And there was like that silence in the class. And then like the laugh. And I remember this meeting of like, no, this poor kid. He's already getting pulled. Come on. Like, like then at a certain point, we're not laughing at you. We're laughing with you. You know, like if I fart and I sneeze, I'm going to laugh. You know? But yeah, right. Because he's already teased. But that's one I, of my favorite stories. I remember... This one girl did a sneeze fart in seventh grade. Also, it was like ah, chipunk. I'm just like oh, but you no. There's oh, also one God. time. Oh man, any any women listening to this podcast is like this dude's a catch with what I'm about to say. But I used to work at Six Flags um, in the entertainment department, and I used to like when those the the um the park would open up. They would let people in. I was the person who would greet them. It's not like a morning show, but like I had a mic and I was in the middle of the park. Like, oh, hey, really? So this was this is Six Flags New England, and you had like Tweety Bird and Bugs Bunny, and like they weren't they weren't out there at that point of the day. But that was also part of my job. I would be the one who would like escort the Looney Tunes. No way, really, dude! Oh my yeah. god, I have so many questions with that for their Daffy next Daffy podcast. Daffy, by the way, like Daffy, like there's like if you're in Daffy Duck, you have to like you have to act like an asshole. And I hate I hate taking that's a whole conversation. Like I was one time I took this. Daffy out, and we were in Hurricane Harbor, and they slapped, you know, the life vests that you take, like, they just slapped them on the ground, and they waited for me to pick them up, and I was like, I'm not doing this, Daffy, like, let's go take some fucking pictures, like, I'm not, like, the people in the Daffy. Oh, my God, dude, I have a million <laughs> questions on that we have to get into, but, man, like, can you just give another quick, like, hilarious SB to an escort with six flags? Uh, so, so, I'll give, okay, I'll give two, two quick, so one is the, the fart story is is really, so it's uh-oh. It's more of a yeah. So I'll just tell it. So I remember it was right before, right before they were gonna come in and we're gonna do the, the morning show thing, and I had to take a really, like I was like, do I have to take a shit or am I gassy? And I was in the booth and I, I was like, I'm gonna risk it. I let him a bit of the fart, and then more and a little poop came out. I was like, it. Was like <laughs> it was like, it was a little wetter than like it wasn't like I solid solided in my pants. It was like a moist brown. You know, it was like diarrhea, and I tried to fart, so some sneaked out while it could. And I was like, yo, I had to run to the bathroom, and, like, it was, like, a minute till they came in. And I, like, I, they were, like, I wasn't going to tell my my superiors, whatever. I wasn't going to tell them why. You were going to tell Bugs Bunny. So, like, <laughs> so I remember, like, the worst part, too, is I, like, like, can I walk or, I definitely, like, I, I didn't want to run because I didn't want to look sus, but I didn't walk because it was urgent. But I just remember like quickly like jogging, but my ass cheeks were rubbing against each other and feeling the way. It was so gross. And it was like seven, it was like early in the morning because I just, and then I'm at work. I'm like, this is not how I want to start my fucking day. But I got to go and wipe. And I remember coming back to the people coming in the park and like greeting them and thinking, no one, no one has any idea what the fuck just happened. Like, no one knows that the dude who's been the six times just, like, almost shit himself. Like, like, so this is something to think about. It's like, when I meet people, I always think, like, that dude might have just shit himself, and I have no idea. But um, I have one escorting thing, and this is a... Uh, so one thing about the Six Flags uh, escorting is I would do this thing called the end-of-the-night party. And one of the, my that favorite parts lit. of the end-of-the-night party is I would help uh, Bugs Bunny 
like lead a conga line like throughout the front of the park of a bunch of people. But the are you familiar with the song Cake by the Ocean? It goes like I keep on eating cake by the ocean. I do so not know that the, song, man, but it sounds really cool. To that song, but it was always so funny for me because it's a bunch of kids in the conga line singing "Eat that cake by the ocean," and Bugs Bunny's dancing, and the parents are like, "You eat that cake." But I know it's a song about eating ass on the beach. So to me, is that really? No way. Yeah, because it's eating cake is eating ass. I mean, and I didn't know. I knew that. I know that. Like I've heard that before. But I was like, wow. <laughs> No, how blatant. Okay. They're not really eating cake, but the, it's so funny because I'm like, these kids have no idea that Bugs Bunny is leading them to a conga line about a song about eating it. So that's just one of my favorite Six Flags memories. But uh, yeah, some, yeah, I mean, there's a couple. One time uh, I was leading, it wasn't Porky Pig. It was Porky, the girl Porky Pig. I forget her name, Penelope. I think her name is Penelope Pig mm-hmm. or something like that. And I was Shorty. leading her and uh the characters aren't allowed to talk like there's a i forget it's been a while there's like a symbol they do if they want to tell you if there's an emergency and i remember it's like we're taking pictures and she pulls me in and she goes tom there's a fucking spider in my mask i'm like we have to rush back i'm like what and i thought it was like because the suits are already really stinky and smelly because they've been used for years and at a certain point there's just some smells you can't wash out in this fucking stinky ass thing and she was taking the way she described it she was like taking the picture with a kid and then she just felt something crawling out her face but she has to stay in character so this little kid is taking a picture of Parky Pig and has no idea that the woman inside is like I need to get the fuck out of here because there's a spider in my thing and I remember like when we got there she like threw the mask off I was like oh my fucking god blah, blah, blah. and I was just laughing I think I'm an asshole but because I knew if I was in that situation, yeah. I would laugh. Like, I'm like laughing. Dude, with can I, I just, yeah, oh my God. Can I ask, like, I, I read like these Reddit forums on Disney World, like the people of Disney World who act, and then like, yo, there's some after hours. Some people get it on. That so, happened at Six Flags. <laughs> so I'll say this. So I came into, I came into it. Um, When I came into Six Flags, I was, I worked there two years. So one one year was Fright Fest, which is a whole different thing. But when I was the escorting for the Looney Tunes, I was in a relationship with someone. And the the Six Flags people were kind of clicky, if that makes sense. Like, you know, when you come to a new environment and the people like they're not doing it on purpose, but they're just so close. It's hard to kind of make friends with new people. So it was kind of like that mixed with the kind of insecurities. So I didn't really get to know the people. And I didn't I didn't like working there that much because I felt distant from the people. And it just, um, I don't know, it's just a shitty, it's not the best environment, but uh, I, it was one of those environments where you could tell people like, it's like the kind of place where they break up with one person, like they shit where they eat basically. Like they're definitely, oh. I don't know if they were having crazy sex parties or whatever, but there was definitely like incestual relations between coworkers. Oh my God. Them. Like is Wonder Woman and Batman getting it on right before? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I'm pretty sure there was, I think, I'm trying to think there was someone, ah, uh, I'm trying to think because I feel like you're, you're reminding me of something. Um, I definitely think that at some point Batman dated somewhere there. At some point Wonder Woman dated somewhere there. That's but hilarious, man. Pretty close. Oh, yeah. like was, I'm not going to lie. When I was a kid, especially go there, like seeing whoever was playing Wonder Woman, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, man. there's I, I, I would work in the Hall of Justice, too. Two of the Wonder Women there, they were they were sisters. So beautiful. Oh, my God. And it's, I'm also a Wonder nerd, Woman. So like, it's just cool being in the Hall of Justice with Robin or Green Lantern. Like that was my favorite part. I hated with the Looney Tunes, but when I had was when I was on uh, Hall of Justice duty, 
Um, you're kind of just like you put on this jumpsuit and you're kind of like the janitor for the for the Hall of Justice is your kind of thing. But it was really fun because when the kids came in, I would like play trivia with them and I would I know everything about not everything, but I know. Are you guys them. ready to see Spooperman? Like, do you like they have the, the case, like it'll have the case with like Green Lanterns, like Lantern, and they'll have the case with the lasso of truth. And I just feel like awesome being like, do you know what the lasso of truth does? And I tell them everything they gotta know, and the kids are like, Oh my god, I didn't know that about Wonder Woman. And I'm like, Yeah, fucking superheroes are cool. Yeah, fucking babysit Daffy Duck, and it's <laughs> dude. You know, I remember. I knew. I I I know him. Well, yeah, I know him. There, I know this kid. That this guy, who was Batman at Universal. Sorry, who was Spider Man at Universal. He would show his like selfies in the locker room with this, maybe and badass, and he would like show the poses they trained him to do. That shit fascinates me. The amusement park life. They're not allowed. Like, I bet it's the same for Disney. I don't know if he told you this, but yeah, if you like take pictures backstage of you in costume or half off in costume like you can completely lose your job immediately for that like even even if they don't post or anything even I think if they, they find out i mean i think like if your supervisor finds out you don't post it they're gonna be like if you post that you can get fired you know what I mean? it depends how much of, it depends how much of a dick your bosses are but <laughs> yeah right out like the comp like whoever owns like like wb you know what i mean like wb if it gets out the company will whatever the company is They'll fire you. I mean, your supervisors might not fire you, but you, they'll get a yeah, call. Yeah, the con- conglomerates, like who own the people actually who actually own the characters. Yo, you want to know just two last two Six Flags stories? Because I used to go to Six Flags New England a lot, bro. Like, as like, I haven't been there probably like eight years, but I used to go a lot, especially like in middle school. Like, I was in the middle school band, and like we would have our big competition there. That's all we would be in the band for, just to skip school one day to go to Six Flags. Two stories. <laughs> One, there was this ride where you would drive the car on the on the um on the fucking uh the Route sixty six kind of ride. Yeah, Route sixty six, and we were just being seventh grade, seventh and eighth grade assholes, like ramming each other, like stopping the last minute, and then boom, and then oh, this is so bad. I remember the cars got stuck in the middle of it. It's like a big I-95 crash jam. And I see this poor innocent woman running like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And like we wound up pulling it out and driving out. But the bumper fell. We <laughs> totally should have got charged for that. We just ran away. So I'm sorry. Yeah, I to that. They would charge you for that because that I'd be pissed. But I, what's funny about that story is I like I don't know anyone who knows the Route 68 if you're listening, but it's like just like. It's little, it's like the loop, and you have the little—they're not bumper cars, but like it's the cars that you to drive around. Drive around yeah, the they're not supposed to be bumper cars, but we were doing it. And it's so funny picturing like the accident because I know in real life it's not like it. Like it's probably just like a dude. Like was it crazy? Like how? how yeah, they literally just one bumper was on top of the other, but yeah. drove off. Like oh man! But then the second story, I'll never forget this. Actually, well, I did forget it for for many years until you reminded me. But. <laughs> <laughs> we talk assist flags. Uh, the bumper cars there, like in the like the west, uh, the western like area. Mm-hmm. I remember just my friend was being a. We were just all right, guys. Here we go, bumper cars. Everyone's rolling, and my boys. His name was Magnus. His car wasn't running. He's like, you know what, fuck this. I'm gonna go to the other car. So he jumps out of the car in the middle of of the bumper cars driving each other. And I remember just seventh grade, my boy Nick. He's just be- Nate. He's just being a dick. He's like, "That's it. I'm gonna run it to Magnus." And the car and the and the ride operator stops the ride. Damn! And, but you can see Mag- this dumbass Magnus running with bumper cars. He's about to get really hurt. And I'll never forget. Just the ride operator is just so pissed. He stops the ride. He's just like, 
what the fuck? <laughs> Get the fuck out. I remember he kicked us all out. That's funny. I like the what this, on the part like, the he just fuck? he was mad. Like I've never seen someone so furious. And then all right, just last small six flags. This was in Six Flags DC. It was the I think it was the two-face ride. And um you go from zero to six. You go, it's like one of those zero to sixty rides. Like, you know, you go zero to sixty in 30 minutes or or sorry, in like six seconds. And the guy's just like, all right, guys, let me let me tell you the rules. Bam! Choo! I was dead. I I wanna I, we keep adding things, but I just wanna Yeah, I have to do with it. What do you say? This is related to when you're talking about you were in the band to uh I also was in the band my freshman year of high school, but I faked the clarinet. I never actually played. I like <laughs> playing the clarinet but the reason i was is because they would always like leave and like go places and they they had the band i don't know if you guys had a band trip but they went to, like hershey park so oh, i yeah. like faked the band i faked playing the instruments so i could go on so it's hilarious man yeah. man but back to our questionnaire though yes number five what sound or noise do you love you asked me that didn't you I oh, said, yeah so, so i think that's how we ended up oh, on excuse me <laughs> sorry you're right yeah. what sound or noise do you hate what sound and noise do I hate? I hate, and this isn't like anger scream. I hate the sound of, this is this is something my brother and I bond over. If my mom like sees a mouse or something, like her, her fear scream is the worst, most anxiety, panic inducing sound in the world. Mm-hmm. Like it's like this like, like you know that stereotypical like shriek from a woman in a horror movie? Right. That's, I think that's it. I hate the sound of someone I hate the sound of fear screaming coming from someone who I, um, how much should I say this? Okay. Cause I work at Fight Express. I love scaring people and I love when they're screaming, but I hate the sound of a scream. That's more dramatic than it needs to be. Yeah. Like, if that's you're screaming, perfect. That's a good way to sounds put it. Like you're dying, but like, I don't know. All you did was saw a mouse. Like I hate that. Like that, <laughs> like I just wasted all this emotional energy for no reason. Yeah. It was like, bro, there's worse things over here. Why, why are you, why are you mad? You know? Why are you mad though? <laughs> Yo, my next question though is uh what is your favorite curse word? So my favorite curse word is fuck. Favorite <laughs> word. But I do love to improvise often. Like I like to throw in, you know, like to throw in a, a cum bubble here, something you want to do a fuck nugget, like a, 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 fuck a, nugget. a cunt destroyer. Like I like to take one word, first <laughs> word. Ask Goblin. So Ask yeah. Goblin, that's a good one. I saw it's fuck, but I under that. If I had to pick a second favorite word, it'd be less of a, you know, it'd be cum bubble. Fuck. And then my second favorite swear is cum bubble because it's so gross. Like that's an image right there, like a bubble of cum. Really? That really, that's probably my least favorite word is the word cum. The C U M. Oh, it's just so gross. It just matches the word of, it just matches what cum is. Yeah. I think it's just. I used to hate the word cum and I used to hate the word pussy. I used to hate both of those words because they were so, as a kid, because they were so vulgar and so like, yeah, cum. You know what I mean? And then, Pussy to me was like, like I'm fine with vagina. I was fine with all those other words, but for some reason, pussy was very. I think I only heard it in very vulgar situations. Right. But as you get older, you kind of. But yeah, come is. I can see why you hate come. <laughs> Number eight. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Um, that's a great question. Uh, definitely, I want to get into animation. Animation is up there. Yeah. Animation is. I totally animation and drawing. That's my next skill. When I'm when I'm when I can su- when I can support myself alone on my comedy and all that, 
my new hobby is going to be I'm going to go into drawing stuff with my free time. All right, man. That's cool. That's cool. I love it. What profession would you not like to do? I'm a janitor right now and I fucking hate it. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing worse than, than waking up at 6 a.m. to literally mop fucking vomit off the floor. Or like when you got to clean the, the women's restrooms, oh, they have these mail. <laughs> I have a whole stand up bit about it, but they have these mailboxes. Um, do you know about the mailboxes in the women's restroom? No. What is that? So mailboxes. You can't, you can't just flush tampons or pads down the toilet because it'll clog the toilet. <laughs> oh, no. Like a woman in the stall, you're not going to take the tampon and go outside and throw in the trash. So every woman's stall has these little mailboxes on them. And not a lot of guys are wearing them because we're not going to women's bathroom. Mm-hmm. But this is where they deposit that. And oh. it's someone's job, I mean, two in the morning, oh. take that stuff and throw it away. And sometimes you find things you do not want to find. My friend's also Jenner. He has found like, um, like blood clots in there. Sometimes I swear. Sometimes the pads fall off in the toilet and they put it in there. Like I've grabbed like soggy ass. I've grabbed pads full of urine, full of blood, full of toilet water. One time I opened up the uh, the I call it a mailbox. It's not called a mailbox, but I open up the mailbox to take some, and someone actually put an envelope in there. They they had a Christmas letter. And I guess they just threw it away in there. So it was really funny to open it up and then find the letter. And even though it was all the stuff, like I had my gloves on, so I actually opened up the letter to open it up and read it. Because I was curious, like, yo, we put a letter in the tampon box. But yeah, that's uh least favorite job in the world is the one I have right now. I hear that. Well, not going to be there forever, my man. Hell yeah. So my last question before we say goodbye. If heaven exists, what would you like God here to say to what would you like God to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? What can I do for you? Which may sound like a crazy thing to want God to say when you die. But what my whole thing with God is God is the most, whatever this God I envision is the most merciful, loving, forgiving, beautiful, gracious entity in the world. And the whole thing is asking you shall receive. And all God wants to do is give, give, give. And it would speak so much of the character of God. It's like, imagine this being, this entity, whatever beyond unfathomable existence, like you're created because of it. And when you die, the first thing this thing wants to do is, you know, what can I do for you? And that would bring me so much comfort in the afterlife because I would have just died. So to die, because the first thing I would do is I would ask a bunch of questions, you know? So I would, so it's the idea of him saying, what can I do for you? Because I want to feel welcomed and feel like it'd be nice to die. And the first person you see is someone who wants to help you. So what can I do for you? Look at that, man. Very profound answer. But Tom, man, three hours really making these moves for it. I've enjoyed every second of it. I can't wait to do it again. Again, can you tell us where we can find your content one last time? Yes. So uh, I'm going to plug mine. I'm going to plug something else because it's there. So. I'm going to say, check out my Instagram, Tom Roche Comedy, uh, T-O-M-R-O-C-H-E Comedy. Check it out on Instagram. That's also my Snapchat and my uh, Twitter. I don't really use my Twitter that much yet. But find uh, you'll find music videos I've directed on. It's a channel on YouTube. It's my brother's letter. I think it's just Roche, right? Mm-hmm. R-O-S-H-A-Y. So if you want to check out a music video I directed recently, check out Homebody. Homebody by Roche. Check me out on YouTube as the director. And if you just want to keep up with my comedy, 
Tom Roche Comedy, or add me on Facebook, Tom Roche. Um, I'm always down to collaborate with artists, talk shop, all that kind of stuff. So that's where you can find me. All right. Well, as you said, go go check out Tom on those platforms. Tom Roche, you are one amazing guest. I can't wait to do this again. I can't wait to stay in touch. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? I love this. Keep uh, I, I I love this a lot. Um, whoever actually, I don't know. I don't know who who who's gonna be listening to this for three hours. I, if you're if you if you'd be surprised, man. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Yeah, I would be surprised. I mean, People do that. listen. That's what's great. It's easy to pause the podcast now. So. There are going to be people listening this far, so it's cool. If you've made it this far, uh, I'm going to sell your dick. I guess that's all I got to say. If you made it this far in the video, hit me up. Get on my knees. Suck your cock. I'm just kidding. But, um, no, I'm not. No, but I am. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> that's throwing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom, you know, you bring a great energy, bring great vibes, and again, I'm looking forward to staying in touch, my friend. Thank you for an awesome appearance. And you, the man. Yeah, Have man, a great sure. night, friend. Have a good night, man. Tom Roche, you are one great fucking human being. What an incredible talk we had. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for your amazing stories, all the laughs, all the vibes, and your great fucking energy, boy. You were an amazing guest. Thank you so much, Mr. Roche. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And please give us a review. Also to explore and check out all exclusive content regarding the Productive Conversations podcast, go to ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com and check out our exclusive site of all things Productive Conversations from every single podcast, every single video, my blogs, my resume, and much more. It is all there on the Productive Conversations podcast website. I guarantee you it will be an experience you will enjoy. Also on that website, you will see our merchandise store. Thanks to our friends at Zazzle. You could get all exclusive merchandise with the Productive Conversations logo on it. On that site, you will see amazing apparel. You will see great stationary items, office supplies, stickers. There are pillowcases available. There are socks. There are sandals for the summer. There is something here for everybody, and you will be satisfied. Don't forget to write the promo codes at checkout. Every single item has a promo code, so check it out, fill it out, and enjoy the fun that we have to offer in the store. And I just want to also remind you that you can access the merchandise store by checking the episode description page or go to ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com slash merchandise. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast. We're on Twitter at ProdConvoPod. We're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. So check us out in the world of social media. Got a good week ahead. This Thursday, we have one of my dearest friends from high school. Erin Kelly is on the Productive Conversations podcast, and she's doing it from Iceland. She lives in Iceland, so this is our first international podcast. So we're going to talk about a lot of great things. We talk about WandaVision, go through memory lane in high school, and we talk about a lot of other great things from music, movies, TV, and it was just really great catching up with my great friend Erin Kelly. 
That's this Thursday. And you want to check in a Monday show, not only because we have the world-renowned Joe Yankis, not only it's going to be the 60th episode of this podcast, but as I was doing some finishing touches to this show while editing, I got a call. It's a New York City number. Seeing all the great possibilities, and you know I'm all about New York City. Hope to move hope to be commuting and working there again after five years and then the stupid pandemic happened but as i've been working to get back to new york city and being back there for good uh one of the greatest opportunities came afoot a month ago so long story short i applied for snl tickets in august as i do every single year since i was old enough at 17, 18 years old. So for many years, six, seven years, I've been applying for SNL tickets. And what happens is you apply for the tickets. And then if you get picked throughout the entire season, they will let you know. So last month, late February, I got picked. I got picked to be standby for the Reggie Jean Page and Bad Bunny episode. This was in late February. Me and the group... We actually went down as standby, knowing that we may or may not get in the show. We waited all the way till 11 p.m. The show starts at 11.30, 11.29 exactly. And being the only people in the lobby, seeing if today's going to be the day that we get in, they politely told us that there wasn't any more room for us to get in. But they guaranteed us a show in the future. So yeah, a few weeks have gone by, just a little under a month and I got a call while editing this show that we have tickets for you and your group. So this is incredible. This is really incredible. So next Saturday, the 27th, I will be in the studio audience of Saturday Night Live. The Maya Rudolph, the legendary, insanely talented Maya Rudolph, and Jack Harlow is going to be the host and musical guest, respectively. So you know what we're going to talk about on Monday, our episode on the 29th of March after my interview with the great Joe Yankis. I will tell you all how that experience was being in the audience of Saturday Night Live. So that's going to be a lot of fun. we got so many more shows to look forward to. We're going to talk about baseball in the upcoming weeks. We have a baseball preview show that is being set up. We have a WrestleMania reaction show coming up. We have a Masters reaction. We're going to talk about the Oscars. And we're most importantly going to keep on having amazing guests come on the show. New guests, returning guests. The show's just going to keep getting better and better. And I thank you, the greatest listeners and an audience in the world, for making it possible. Seriously, you all are incredibly important to me. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to create this show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I love and appreciate you, the greatest listeners and fans in the world. And you all... Please have a great week. We'll be back here on Thursday again with the amazing Aaron Kelly. And please keep doing the right thing. Stay amazing. Be proactive. Make everybody around you proud of you. And most importantly, be proud of yourself. With that, my name is Matt Brown. I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. And I have the greatest listeners and fans in the world. Thank you for making this possible. See you on Thursday. Peace.